Good evening and welcome to the Champaign uh, City Council study session for Tuesday, February 22nd, 2022. Uh, Councilmember Pianfetti. Madam Mayor, I move we approve the minutes of the January 25th, 2022 regular study session. Second. Is there any discussion? All those in favor signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed, same sign. Motion carries. Uh, council redistricting, city attorney. Well, thank you, uh, thank you, Mayor. Uh, it's only once every 10 years uh, you get to look at the uh, districts uh, that the city is divided into. And uh, on this day that's filled with twos, two, 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 uh, I'm happy that uh, this is the fifth time that I'll have been discussing redistricting with the city council. So, but it's always different. It's always a little different because there are different council members and different mayor. Uh, so if we can start right into it, uh, I'll just give a, just a brief legal background. The reason that the council redistricts every 10 years after the uh, decennial census is because the Constitution requires it. The Constitution requires it and so do the state statutes. Uh, the reason is because of the constitutional principle of one person, one vote, equal protection of the laws, and it allows uh, citizens' votes to be uh, uh, weighted equally. So it's an important constitutional principle you read about it, you, you, you hear about it in other communities, in the state level and the, and the um, federal level. Uh, but at the local level, uh, it tends to be less controversial. In a nonpartisan community like our community is, it's even less controversial. Uh, it's been a very smooth process over the last uh, bit of time that I've been involved. So, so that's the legal framework that's required. We have the census results, and we'll just go right into some of the census results. So as you see, the, the 2010 census, we were 81,000, we've grown to 88,000. So there's a growth of 7,200, a little bit better than 7,200 people in the community and these are distributed differently through the districts. That's what causes us to have to rebalance, cause the city council to be required to rebalance those districts. So to give you an idea uh, how that impacts the current districts, these are the current districts with the current district formulation. And you see the uh, distribution of new population. These started out to be uh, just about the same, but over the last 10 years, uh, there's been a change. The, it breaks down just a little bit like this. So uh, as you see in the uh, different columns, the original population in uh, 2010 
divided by five would have created uh, nearly equal districts of 16,211 people. But you see the, the actual redistricting doesn't have to be right on the person. You see that they're all just a little bit, they start out just a little bit unequal back in 2010. 2000, actually, two, ended up being 2012 when the redistricting was passed. So they don't have to be 100% precise, but there is constitutional parameters that say that between the largest district and the smallest district, there can't be more than a 10% deviation. And for any deviation, there has to be an articulatable reason for that. So when we look to, when we look then to the 2020 population, uh, we see that 17,660 is the new equalized, if you will, population for districts. In the last column, you can see where the, by the miracle of attorney mathematics, I've uh, added and subtracted, and these are where districts are over the ideal or under the ideal. So you see District 4 is probably the most, uh, the most distant in population from the ideal, but they're all not, you know, they're all not, uh, uh, they're all not 17,660 people. So it requires just a bit of adjustment. So, in the past years, uh, there's been a policy adopted uh, by the city council to govern uh, how the redistricting process takes place. Not just the process, but the schedule. Some people would say, well, that really this doesn't affect the districts until 2025. That's the next district election. Uh, really, though, the preparation starts in 2024 and from a political standpoint, some people want some advance notice, uh, usually, of, of what the districts are going to be at the, at the next district election, well in advance of the time that they have to circulate a petition. Uh, so uh, in the past, this has always been the same case, when the city council has had the numbers, uh, they've taken steps to redistrict. So there's an existing policy that's in, uh, in effect. City Council adopted the policy in uh, 2011. And this policy was, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty straightforward in terms of uh, legal basis. Uh, in other words, there's a legal basis for each and every one of those items in the policy that uh, I'll go over uh, just, just a bit. The first one in the policy, in the existing policy, talks about each of the five districts containing the residence of an incumbent district council member. Now you may say, isn't that self-serving? Uh, and uh, to a certain extent, certainly it is. Uh, but the courts have recognized that this is a political process and to, to think that uh, elected officials would not take into consideration that uh, uh, is not practical. Uh, you don't have to have it in your policy, 
however, it's been in the city council's policy for mm, at least 20 years. Uh, I'll, I'll keep going over all of them and then uh, uh, at the end of the time, uh, I'd like uh, some direction concerning all the policy. So it says that most of the other things are fairly straightforward from a legal standpoint, using the most recent census data available. We have that. Uh, that the uh, territory, see that the territory be composed of contiguous and reasonably compact territory. That's another constitutional requirement. Of course, there's a lot of latitude that way too. You see from, you see this is the same uh, requirement that the state uses and the federal government uses in redistricting, state governments in particular. And you know how that can happen. It can be, there can be gerrymandering. That hasn't been the case in the city. Uh, as you can look at the districts, uh, they are right now compact and contiguous. Um, the uh, plan also should avoid fragmenting or packing of minority communities. Again, this is another issue that the city is um, uh, uh, most cities confront when there are voting rights issues. Some of the communities in the uh, uh, central Illinois have encountered voting rights issues. In other words, issues raised by the Justice Department concerning their voting patterns or representation. Uh, you, may, you may know if you've studied uh, Central Illinois history that uh, some, of the, some of our local communities have been under voting rights consent decrees. Peoria, for instance, Springfield, uh, Danville. Uh, but as a matter of fact, the Justice Department visited the city back back in the early 90s and found that the city had no voting rights issues. Cities had minority representation since uh, uh, early 60s, right as soon as the new form of government was adopted. So that has not been an issue that the cities had to deal with or confront. Uh, same, the same, this is sort of a, a, a different side of the same coin is not to dilute voting strength of racial minorities. Uh, uh, the same discussion uh, from the last provision uh, pertains. F says that the district shall be as nearly equal in population as possible, uh, utilizing precinct boundaries as a building block of redistricting. I'll talk about that just a little bit more. Um, it's important to recognize that precincts, precincts uh, are not based on population. They're, they're usually based on registered voters. Uh, that's the charge of the uh, county board that approves the, the precincts. Uh, ordinarily what's happened locally is, is that the county clerk works very hard to get uh, good precinct configurations uh, to make it efficient for voting, uh, to make their office run efficiently, to make it easy to count the votes. They recommend to the uh, uh, county board and the county board approves precincts. Uh, so it's important, it's important uh, as, a, as a notion that uh, the city, if it can, uh, 
utilize those precincts as voting blocks. It becomes more confusing in elections when the precincts are split. It's not impossible now, of course. Uh, I, I think it's a, a little bit easier uh, in 2020 than it was in even the year 2000 because computers play a much greater role in counting ballots. But there's always been the express preference by every county clerk I've dealt with that if you can stick, if you can use precincts as building blocks, to use them. Really, the, the, law, the law doesn't say that. The law doesn't say you have to use precincts. Uh, in fact, the, the state law says that the precincts should follow and try not to split district boundaries, whether it's county board districts or city or municipal districts. That's what the law requires. But frequently, uh, the precincts are, are, are configured before the city undertakes redistricting. And it's possible to use precincts. And avoiding the split of precincts helps the county clerk, uh, at least to a marginal degree. I think the county clerk would say that. Uh, the next part, the next section in the existing policy, G, says the city staff shall make available to any citizen material showing precincts and populations in order to formulate options for redistricting. This hasn't always been part of the redistricting process and there is certainly no obligation uh, for the city uh, council to, to uh, uh, request or permit uh, any suggestions by anybody other than uh, uh, the persons that you choose. Uh, in the uh, first redistricting after the city council was divided into districts, uh, there were uh, two uh, at-large members of the city council, the mayor and the person who ran against the mayor uh, in 1982. Uh, those people came up with two maps and the city council chose from those maps. In the next redistricting, the city council appointed uh, two, uh, two former council members uh, to uh, come up with some suggestions. Uh, the same thing in the third one. There were former council members involved in the formulation of maps. But by 2020, uh, the city council said, well, we've got the tools to be able to use. 2020 and uh, 2010, we've got the tools to use, so we'll take anybody's map, uh, anybody's map who has a map to suggest. The city council hasn't been overwhelmed by maps. Uh, the last time, I think there were four suggested. And uh, the city council selected the one map, which is in existence now, that was suggested by one of the city council members. So there's a variety of ways to get suggestions for maps. Uh, and, but this says that it makes available to any citizen materials. Any citizen, of course, includes all the council members uh, suggesting. Uh, in the last, in the last uh, time, uh, our IT director, Mark Tolson, suggested a map, uh, much to his eternal regret. Uh, but uh, so anybody can suggest a map. And there are tools available uh, both online and uh, 
uh, yeah, online to be able to create your own map. Uh, then there, we talk about the timing of this a little bit in the next in the next provision, provision H, and it says essentially, uh, you know, they'll be submitted before. Now this says September 14th, 2011. What I haven't done is I haven't changed the dates in this policy. This is the policy as it was. And we changed the dates uh, again to come forward with, uh, uh, with a new policy for the city council to adopt. All these things, of course, are up for council discussion. Uh, really the one, the, well, there are several ones that are, of course, sort of immutable. Uh, there has to be nearly equal in population. That's, that's probably the principal, uh, the principal requirement. Uh, and there are some other ones that are very important, but uh, some of the other ones are, are, are uh, not necessarily requirements. So, there is then a process that the city council is, that's set forth in the policy. This is the last part of the policy. Uh, and that's to consider the various alternatives. You know, you have a deadline to submit the alternatives. Then, uh, at a study session, the city council discusses and selects an alternative to go forward with. Then, the final, the final, uh, uh, the final alternative is, of course, then is to vote on that one that the city council has tentatively agree, uh, uh, agreed to go forward. So that's the process uh, in a nutshell. Uh, this is the proposed timetable. This is, and it's pretty, it's pretty leisurely, I have to say. I mean, there's, there's, we, there is plenty of time to do this, uh, but it sets forth a, a schedule that moves us so by uh, October, November, uh, the city council is ready to uh, adopt a new map. This just recapitulates some of the elements of the policy. So there's some city council direction that we're going to request. Uh, and I've broken it down into four, uh, four items. Does city council want to use a commission? You know, sometimes there's a commission appointed. The county, for instance, has appointed commissions in the past. I don't think the county's ever gone along with a recommendation of one of the commissions, but they've appointed them in the past several, uh, at least the, the past several uh, uh, redistrictings. Uh, is the council comfortable with the schedule that's been outlined? Uh, are there any other portions of the 2011 uh, policy that you wish to modify? And whether the staff should uh, provide, other than limited assistance to anybody, in other words, uh, demographic uh, and you know, sort of a map uh, for people to submit. Uh, keep in mind that uh, the more uh, staff is involved, the more uh, involved uh, the potential is for staff to appear to have political uh, aims here. It's probably not a, a good idea for that to happen. However, there's certain basic information, demographic information, and maps that 
uh, the city can make available online for people to use, and that's the limited assistance that's discussed here. So I'll, I'll put the map, the current map, up uh, for you to look at, just to have it in front of you uh, as you're talking about uh, some of these issues. And that concludes my presentation. And I'd be happy to answer any questions that you have about any part of this. Are there any technical questions? Councilmember Gladney. Yes, thanks, Fred. Um, on the council direction part in, in part A, says does the council was to utilize a commission, an individual staff, or et cetera. When you say an individual, do you mean what you were kind of talking about earlier, like a series of individuals who want to come forward or no, it could be an individual. For instance, in one in one of the redistricting, the city council appointed one former council member to come forward with uh, as many suggestions as he could come up with. Uh, that was that was one person. That was Council Member Fierk. Council Member Fierk was uh, also the registrar at the university. He had a he had a a good uh, mind for numbers and uh, and and he, you know, I have to say uh, having. Having a bipartisan city council is, uh, uh, makes that easier to pick uh, former council members uh, to, to come up with uh, maps. You don't have to, but, but, that, but that's, that's what the council's feeling was at the time. Uh, so, I mean, that's a, that's, a, that's a real hallmark. I'll talk about that more in the next section about, uh, about uh, uh, signatures, but a hallmark, not every community is bipartisan, you know that. Nonpartisan. Uh, Nonpartisan. And many are partisan, uh, meaning they have political parties. Not, not necessarily all, all the uh, Republicans and Democrats. Many communities, especially in the suburbs, have their own homegrown parties, too, uh, to create. And that... I want to say that complicates matters a lot in redistricting. If I talk to my colleagues in other communities, you know, that's a, it's a big deal. But appointing a person or two people or a commission, that's all within the council's uh, uh, purview tonight. Thank you. Other technical questions? Fred, I actually had one. I, and maybe you alluded to this, but I seem to remember part of the technical assistance that staff gave was that we actually had a computer program online that then members of the public could go to and play with and develop maps and I think the last and the last and the last one that's that that's that happened and there was in other words a computer uh, yeah the ability to generate a computer uh, uh, map because you had referenced that there are programs available online but it seems like I guess my question is, we could provide that so that could, anybody would be able to do that. Yeah, or links to several. There's just not one. Uh, uh, probably in 2010, there were only a couple. Now there's many. Okay, thank you. If anyone in the audience wishes to address this issue, please step forward. Seeing none, council comment? Is there any comment? All right, so we need some direction. I guess we can just pull each of the items. So the first item is um, 
Well, just generally, utilizing commission individual staff um, or an assistant to develop, to develop maps. So either yes or no on that, and if it turns out to be yes, we can drill down on what how you would like to do that. So Council Member P.M. Fetty. Yes. Yes. No. Yes. No. No. <laughs> so do you want um, public and council members to just submit maps or do you want us to appoint a committee or an individual to provide us with maps? And that's a yes or no question? Yes. It's a yes or no question. Yes, it is a yes or no question. Can I ask? I'm sorry. Sure. So the community wouldn't have any input at that point? It would be the commission. So you want to change your mind? Or do you want to discuss it maybe a little bit? Can we discuss it? Oh, yeah. Sure. I, I guess built into this was, yeah. was other method. Other choices, method. Okay. Well, so, okay. So let's start with, do you want a commission or individual? No. Okay. Councilmember Gladney. We're saying no to both of those? In other words, this, that, the, if I can clarify, maybe... Do you want do you want the city council to appoint an individual or commission or some other? Do you words, want to do it the way we've somebody? always done it, or would you like to have a commission like the county board? No. Okay. You're still confused. Well, you're putting forward two things. What am I saying? No or yes. Do you want a commission? No. Okay, Councilmember Bruno. No, I don't want a commission. No. 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 And no. Okay, so no commission. Do you want to appoint an individual to do this? Councilmember Pianfetti. Yes, as one of my options, yes. Okay. As an option, sure. Yes, yes. Well, don't we need to tell staff how we're going to do it? So we have to, I don't know. I, just one person? One person. Well, and I guess... Councilmember uh, Bruno. If we were to appoint an individual, they wouldn't have the final say on it. They'd have to... They'd submit it to they'd us. They'd have to propose a map at which we would have to vote on it as Correct. a city council. But we'd have to f appoint an individual. I don't want to do that. Okay. <laughs> <Council>. No. <laughs> no, I guess no. No, don't appoint an individual. No. No. I think no. <laughs> and no. no. Okay. So um, then you have other methods. What do you mean by that, Fred? Well, uh, you know, maybe, maybe uh, that was a, a throwaway phrase, and I shouldn't have put that in. The question is, does the city council want to appoint anybody? And it seems clearly no. Uh, I mean, that's what I'm hearing from all the city council. So in, in light of not, you not appointing somebody, that, that, means, that means that opens up for suggestions from okay. anybody, so does, including you. Okay. So does anybody want to suggest a process different from the process that was used 10 years ago. Councilmember Iniguez. No? No. 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 
Well, this is a yes or no question, or you're asking us to suggest Well, this? I thought he was going to talk, but then everybody started well, pulling. I was going to suggest arm wrestling. I'd speak to that. Okay, I mean, go ahead. I, I think a process that we could adopt would be to set a deadline to invite map submissions by the nine of us, by anybody in the audience, by anybody in the world. And at, and at that, before that deadline, we provide technical assistance, and then there's a deadline by which they've submitted maps. And then we have a study session, and we consider those various maps, and we, uh, maybe we And vote that's that the process that we and used last process, time. Yeah, that, and that we uh, see all those proposals at a study session, we talk about them, and it comes back to us as an ordinance to adopt or not adopt, if we can reach a consensus at a study session. Councilmember I'm okay with that idea, and I don't know if this is how it was done last time, but if that's something we go with, I would only want maps to be submitted by people who reside in the city of Champaign. Okay, so that would be a change to our, is, was it an ordinance, Fred, that it we adopted? It was an adopted city council policy. We would bring back a council policy that articulated uh, pretty well the same, uh, uh, what I'm hearing from you is, uh, or what I, what I heard from Councilmember Bruno is, to follow the same process that we followed 10 years ago. The, the, point, the, the point, the extra point would be that we'd only accept maps from uh, residents of the city. Is yeah. that right? The only thing I would, I would say about that with all due deference, Matt, is then we're going to have all the folks from Urbana who want to submit maps just using a straw man who lives in Champaign say, submit this map for me. It's Dear Banna model. Uh, I mean, so I, I'm not sure that it comp I, I appreciate your sentiment. I really would want to uh, have our local citizens whose city it is guide us, but, uh, but I'm not sure it's going to work in real practice. Councilmember Kyles. Can they do that anyway? Like it. Oh. Sorry about that. I'm just wondering from your thought process, could, could they, could someone who lived in the city of Urbana, whatever, whatnot, regardless of the, of who submitted the map, couldn't they just have someone submit a map anyway, regardless? I'm just trying to think through. I'm asking what's your thought process. I think process I'd rather that? know that they were from Urbana when they submit it rather than have them hand it to somebody who lives in Champaign to submit. I see what you're saying. I get what you're saying now. But I, do you want us to pull on that, Matt? I don't know. I mean, if this was, if it wasn't, if that wasn't a, a caveat before and it wasn't abused, then, then I mean, I'm, I'm not going to die in that hill. But I, <laughs> I, I think that it, it just seems to me that, you know, if we're creating new districts for the city of Champaign, that it should come from someone in Champaign, but I'm not, like I said, I'm not going to push that too, too far. And we can just vote on Champaign map. Um, does anybody else have any changes to the policy as it existed 10 years ago that they would like to see incorporated? So we can give direction to Fred. Okay. So date wise, you just need to include current dates as, or do you need us to articulate what we'd like the dates no to this be? is the general proposed schedule here 
I mean, as I said, it's, it's uh, you know, I don't want to call it leisurely, but it's, uh, it's it gives plenty of time for people to think about this. So it would, uh, it would mean that uh, come October, November, that's when you'd be uh, adopting the map. If that's generally okay, then we'll follow that and we'll, we'll, we'll put in specific dates in the policy just, just so there's some specific dates. But these are sort of the months the flow in the terms of months that uh, and we for the do. for the public that's basically two years before someone would pick up a petition for a district race so that allows time for people to figure out what district they're in and make decisions about running yeah if the election schedule stays the same usually it'd be august of uh, 24 right. for districts so there's plenty of time, and there's also plenty of time to think about whether whether you want to be running at that time. Okay. So do you need further direction from us? No. It sounds to me as though the the the, the policy resolution uh, is uh, is acceptable, except for the change in the dates, and we'll make those changes and uh, bring that back to the city council then in the next uh, within the next month, I would guess. Okay. Thank you. And you have the next item. Uh, yes. So this 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 uh, study session item uh, concerns uh, nomination petition signatures. Uh, something that's near and dear to everyone who's run for office. Uh, getting signatures on a petition to get on the ballot. Uh, you know from your own personal experience that uh, this is the core of getting on a ballot. It's also the core of uh, objections to getting on the ballot. Uh, so it's, it's a fundamental part of our election process. Uh, and it's the same in every community. In other words, getting signatures on petitions Nomination petitions is core to getting on ballots. It's not the only way, but it's it's a big way. So just to give you just a, a little bit of history, so you everybody everybody usually gets a little packet when they're going to run, and it says how many signatures you need, and you think, okay, that's what I'm going to do is go out and get those signatures. Uh, but I, I want to give you just a little his, history of where that came from uh, and why it is. So prior to 1959, uh, I have to say the White Sox won the World Series, or won the pennant, American League pennant in 1959, in case anybody was wondering. Uh, Mr. Miller. Uh, uh, prior to that time, the form of government in the city was, an at, was a commission form. Now, the commission form is still in existence. It's one of the main main forms of government in the state. Uh, and it's, it's an election of people to a city council by interest. In other words, there's a mayor. You may wonder why the mayor is, is also the liquor commission commissioner. Well, this is sort of a throwback to that, uh, that notion of a commissioner. There's a commissioner of public safety Somebody is elected to supervise public safety, fire and police. There's finance. Uh, there's public works. Uh, and there's one other one that I always forget. So, but there are five 
council members on charge of a particular segment of the city. Uh, the other one is personnel. Uh, so there's, there's, there is somebody elected. So in 1959, though, uh, the city council, uh, really on its own initiative, but uh, with the support of the community, placed a referendum on the ballot to adopt a different form of government and that's the council manager form of government that the city still continues to enjoy today. Uh, but in 1959, when the city council opted to change the form of government, they didn't change the form of representation. Form of representation was still at large. Same number of council members, they were at large. They weren't commissioners anymore, and there was a, uh, there was a city manager hired. So that lasted, that configuration, all at large, lasted until 1972, uh, when the city council adopted the present form of government, not the present form of government, but the present council configuration. There's a difference, of course. Council manager is the form of government. The configuration of council members is, is also something that's adopted by referendum. Uh, and this is three at large, five district council members, the present, the present formulation. This has been in place since 1972. So the petition signatures were, were emanated from the prior form of government. And this is sort of an unfortunate anomaly, or this is an anomaly that's crept in. So in 1959 to 1972, made no difference. Everybody was still elected at large. In other words, the at-large requirement in the commission form of government was 1% of the actual voters at the prior election. Everybody's at large. Everybody was under the same requirement. In 1972, however, when the uh, uh, configuration of council members changed, they kept the same uh, signature requirement. In other words, 1% of the actual number of voters at the prior election. Uh, they kept that same configuration for mayor and at large, but for district council members, instead of utilizing the actual number of votes, they used the number of registered voters. So this obviously was a, uh, this obviously created just a little differentiation there. Now, why they adopted that, I haven't been, I haven't been able to uh, find. I've looked back in the minutes, I've looked back in any of the discussion and, and have no, not, not a very good idea of why they used a different base uh, for number of signatures. So then we, then we started to look at uh, where did the, where, where do signature requirements come from anyway? Well, as I said before, one, one place is from statute uh, you can adopt the signature requirement by referendum. You could. You don't have to. Or you can create a signature requirement by ordinance, which is the way the, the council members in 1972 created the signature requirements for nomination petitions by ordinance. There are other factors that influence this consideration in other communities. Uh, one is the partisan, nonpartisan issue. Uh, that, that, that sometimes influences people. Could be a form of government. The different forms of government can have different, uh, 
different signature requirements. Or it could be the way uh, a council is configured. In other words, some are all district, some are all at large, some are part district and part at large like we are. So it can be influenced by a number of different factors. And as I called around to communities to, to find out uh, what their signature requirements are, the, the more I called around, the more I realized how different uh, they are from community to community, even with the f same form of government, even with the same configuration. So there are 80 council man about 80 council manager forms of government in Illinois. And out of those, there's only four or five of them that are configured in the same way we are. Some of them are, some council manager forms of government are still all at large. Normal is a good example of that. They're all at large. Um, but even in uh, Peoria, which is similar to our community in terms of form of government and council configuration, they're under a voting rights uh, uh, decree. So they're, their signatures are different. They have cumulative voting. Their elections are different than ours. Uh, so uh, it's another community uh, uh, like ours, same configuration, same form of government as the city of Joliet. They have different signature requirements that they, they um, uh, arrived at by ordinance. So there's no, no I'd like to say there's no trend, there's no similarity, there's, there really is uh, uh, no, uh, I want to say majority rule when it comes to signatures uh, in our case. So I'll go, I'll go to the next slide. These are figures I just got today from the county clerk. These, are, these talk about the number of registered voters. Now, if you're a district council member, this is what you're concerned about right now. And sometimes you wonder, gosh, why is one district so many signatures and why is another district not so many signatures? Well, it's because it's based on the number of registered voters in that particular district at a particular time, the prior election. These aren't accurate right now because they're today. It's not what it was when the city clerk originally arrived at the number of signatures required for your district petitions. Uh, so these are, these, are, these are current. As I said, I just got these from the county clerk today. Uh, so I'm assuming that they're accurate as of today. You see there's a big difference between registered voters in each district. Consequently, there is right now uh, a big difference in the number of signatures required for petitions. And of course, this is completely different than if you added all these uh, registered voters up, it's completely different from the number of signatures for at-large and uh, uh, the mayor uh, for ballot entry. So you see there's, there's a lot of different factors to consider. And there's no right way as near as I can determine. There's a lot of theory, uh, but, uh, but there, you know, it's, it's a political decision on your part. But there is a difference between the, the basis, the basis for uh, district and at-large uh, people who run in this city. So the question is, the first question is, is there any impetus to change the formulation? 
That's the first question. If there's not, we can all, we can, uh, I can go home. <laughs> uh, but if there is, then is then then there are some other questions to answer. So the first question is really, is there any impetus to change the current formulation for district or at large council members? Either. So are there any technical questions? Okay. Councilmember Pianfetti. What are the purposes of those signatures? I mean, I, I know why, <laughs> why I get them, but is there, like, what is? Well, you know, you can read a lot about, there's a, there's a lot written about this. Uh, you know, all, all a nomination petition is, is, is it serves two purposes. One, access to ballot, and one, a limitation of access to ballots. Uh, th those are the two sort of basic principles. You know, you could say, well, anybody can run. You know, anybody can run. Anybody can turn their name in and they can run. That's one way. Another, word, another way is to say, you know, you need 5,000 signatures to run. That's a limiting factor. So there's, there's something in between there that people have thought, uh, that I, uh, not, not, not me, but uh, commentators have said were important to have uh, access to ballot, not too hard, not too easy. Uh, and, it's, and it's different, I have to say, it's, there are much different considerations when we're talking about uh, uh, major political parties. There are different considerations that uh, major political parties have. And in a nonpartisan community, uh, it, it's not quite the same. Uh, I don't think, uh, the, so a lot of the commentary has to do with a lot of, if you read, if, if, if you go and search ballot access on the, uh, on the web, well, you'll find thousands of articles, but probably 95% uh, uh, of them talk about uh, partisan issues. Any other technical questions? Anyone in the audience wish to address this issue? Please state your name and city of residence. Please limit your comments to five minutes or less. Uh, good afternoon, Council. It's Craig Walker. <clears throat> so this is a very, very important issue. And so I, I see we're moving kind of fast, didn't have much comment, and we need to think about this because ballot access is critical. And we just had, in fact, in the last election, ballot access denied based on signatures. And I, I feel that signature barriers hamper people from being able to run. For example, if you're disabled and you don't have the ability to go door to door or if you have to, to be able to go get signatures. If you're a single working mom with kids, but you do want to be, try to make a run to represent your council, the timing of these signatures in a sense is at a time that is very difficult to balance out what the time management factors are. So ballot access, the voters can decide. I think that the voters are sophisticated enough in this town 
to decide. When you deny, when you create barriers to ballot access, and I'm not saying you did, this is historic, but you are protecting this institution, the people up here, because you're gonna get ballot access. You're gonna get signatures. You're on the TV every week. But for our city to have a vibrant discussion of ideas <clears throat> and different viewpoints, we must lower the barriers of access. Frankly, I think, you know, flat number, 25 signatures, you're on the ballot. If you can't get 25, you know. And what it reminds me is a little bit about like when you're, you remember when we were in school and it was Valentine's Day and everybody had their Valentine's bucket. Not everybody got the same number of Valentines, you know. Some kids had big old boxes full of Valentines. And there was another kid who only had a few Valentines. And he may not be a, but by the middle of the school year, he might have been a really popular kid by the time the end of the school year. By people, the time people got to know him. But Valentines happened in February. So he may not have been, he or she, I will say, may not have been that popular in February, but by May, they might have been the most popular school kid in the school, but now they can't be the homecoming king because they, they didn't get no Valentines. So what I'm saying is, things change. If people are able to get ballot access, their ideas, their personality, their commitment to this community can come through in the voting process. We, we, we never have too many candidates. I, I've never seen a situation where we're like, oh, we got so many candidates. No, we have too few candidates. And so what we need to do in this, because we only can do this once every 10 years from you know, this being the redistricting process. So I hope the council direction is to change the current formula. Sorry, Fred, you might have to do a little bit more work. And let's really get into how do we lower the standards. I know Mr. Bruno will have a comment on that barrier not being too low, but getting these standards to the point that we can have full participation of the community by every person who's in this city who feels, you know what, I want to take a shot at this. I want my voice heard. You know, every time you run, you're not thinking you're going to win. You just want your ideas on the table. And so if we find after 10 years we did this, we got so many candidates, it's not wieldy, you can change it. I doubt that's going to be the case. I think you're going to find we're still going to be challenged to find candidates because running for office and serving on this board takes a lot of internal fortitude, a lot of commitment, and a thick skin. And it ain't built for everybody. You know, you think it's easy to get up here? Trust me. I've known plenty who've come and gone, and they, it, it ain't never easy. It looks good when, back there, but when they get up here, it changes. But we need to, um, this is a significant moment here because this will be decisions for 10 years. The redistricting part, that's another story. But the ballot access, I urge you, this is a good, great council. Let's lower those requirements and let's hope that by doing that, we have more citizen participation in our elections. Thank you. Thank you. Is there anyone else?
schedule Hall of Champagne. Quite frankly, I don't see any reason to have to get a single signature. If you want to run, put your name on the ballot. If nobody wants to vote for you, nobody will. I agree with him that you're not going to have a plethora of people running on the ballot. I see no reason to have any signatures needed. I think anybody should be allowed to run. Anyone else? All right. Councilmember Bruno. Well, I don't want to break the heart of my dear friend Craig Walker, but uh, I was about to say, to your surprise maybe, that this is something we completely agree on. In fact, you may be surprised to learn that I circulated the study session request asking for our signature requirements to be uh, standardized and significantly lowered. And there's a little story behind that. Um, we have almost every election cycle had challenges to nominating petitions. And it takes the unwary by surprise uh, because they often don't meet some technical requirement on the filing of nominating petitions. And we have to have these week of Christmas, New Year's, uh, emergency uh, electoral board hearings where we pick apart whether the petition was securely fastened, whether the sheets were numbered, whether the, uh, the lines were all filled out correctly. And we have seen people who've served on this council be stricken from the ballot uh, Vic McIntosh, Paul Faraci, stricken from the ballot because of nominating petition uh, shortcomings. But when we had the Justin Michael Hendricks uh, election nominating petition challenge in the last election cycle, um, it was very enlightening to me about just how challenging it is to uh, to circulate nominating petitions for one of the five districts in Champaign. Now, I have always done it for my at-large position on my own. Maybe I've gotten a, a dozen or two from family or friends that have gathered some signatures for me, but mostly I've gotten them myself. And I think that the numbers I had to hit were always around more than 100, 120, 150. 40 or something like that, I would shoot to get twice as many as that. But what I had to do to get those was to walk around and talk to people in the community, people I ran into in public places and said, "Are you? do you live in the city of Champaign? And I'd ask the same question to people I knew and they'd say, for the third time, I'll tell you I live in Savoy. I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, do you live in the city of Champaign? Are you registered to vote? And if they said yes to both of those, I would ask them if they would sign my nominating petition. However, a shocking number of people would say to me, I don't know if I live in the city of Champaign or not. And it was uh, mind-blowing for me. And maybe they lived in Lincolnshire Fields or Rolling Acres or someplace with a Champaign postal address, but they didn't know they lived in the city of Champaign. If I were a district representative, I'd also have to say, and do you live in District 2, 3, 4, 5? And trust me, most people don't know that. They don't know it off the top of their head. And so now the candidate has to 
get enough signatures for all the people who say, I think I do. You know, where do you live? And they look at a map. It becomes a real challenge to try to gather 100 signatures from people that live in one of the five geographic districts. On top of that, you got five different races on the ballot, and everybody's going for a different number of signatures, because everybody's got a slightly different burden to bear. So I, I think we need to get rid of that. I think we need to standardize the number. And the number that I had in mind, excuse me, Mr. Walker, was 25. And, and the reason I thought 25 was the right number is I will disagree with you, Ed, that um, I, don't, I don't think it's helpful for our democracy for people to show up and see 12, 15 names on the ballot, that that might lend to voter confusion and an inability to, on a local race, to sort out which of these many names do, you, do I want to support? So I think there should be some, in my opinion, some bar to entry just so we don't get people stopping by on a whim, putting their name on the ballot, taking no other further effort, and just adding to voter confusion. Um, we, there are some rules about primaries, which you may not be aware of. We're a nonpartisan city. So when you, uh, the, the rule used to be that if there was more than double the number of candidates for spots, uh, there would be a primary to reduce it to double. So when the three at-larges would run, if there were six or fewer on the ballot, there was no primary. Top three were elected. And, but if there were seven, you had to have a primary to reduce it down to six. Then that, the state changed that. So now it's got to be four times the number of vacancies. So now with 12, you know it would take more than 12 names on the ballot for the three at-larges to have to ha have a primary. The primary would be in late February. The municipal election would be in early April. But these are nonpartisan primaries. Now the other thing that I was struck with with the Justin Michael Hendricks election challenge was how comfortable people were with relying on uh, programs and uh, companies that helped them analyze the voters and with the way they kept track of voters. I'd never heard of them. And the people uh, arguing about whether Justin Michael Hendricks should be on the ballot or not were talking about all these different programs they use to keep track of voters. And I've been on the city council for 20 years. I'd never heard of any of these programs. But they're popular within the two major partisan parties. And I don't want to have such a high threshold that if you are a Republican or a Democrat, you can simply go to your, uh, your party's meeting and say, hey, I'm running for city council. And a week or two later, your fellow people in the party come back with a stack of petitions. But the independent, truly independent person doesn't have that resource of, having, of asking a bunch of people in their party to go out and circulate nominating petitions. So I, I see a reduction in the number of signatures as leveling the playing field between people who are not active in partisan politics with those who happen to also be active in partisan politics while wanting to run for city council. Nothing wrong with being active in partisan politics 
and also serving on the not for, uh, nonpartisan city council, but it gives a leg up to people who are members of organized parties to be able to get these nominating uh, signatures. Secondly, the people in the five districts need to get just about as many signatures as the mayor and the three at-large people need to get, yet we've got the whole city to get the, them from, and the people in the districts have to get them just from a district, and people don't know what district they live in. Voters don't often know that. So for all those reasons, I thought, let's just do 25 across the board, um, and 25 to run for an at-large seat, 25 to run for the mayor, 25 to run for a city council seat. We may see three or four or five names on the ballot for a, a vacancy. That's not bad, and I don't think that would be a bad number. It would serve our community well. There'd be a robust discussion. Maybe somebody would uh, get their name on the ballot for election, and their heart really wouldn't be in it. They wouldn't have made the effort to get 100 signatures, but they got 25. That's a risk I think we should be willing to take. For all those reasons, my suggestion my position would be that, yes, we change it. Yes, we drop the percent. We don't use a percentage anymore. And we say 25 signatures on the ballot, on a nominating petition, and you get your name placed on the ballot. And then it's up to the voters on election day to decide whether you win or lose the election. Uh, that's, that's my uh, two cents. Can I ask you a question? Do you want to have a maximum, or do you just want the minimum, because I, I think we're allowed to have a maximum too. Is that right, Fred? Yeah, there's some, there, there, there's some of the statutory formulations. There's a, there's a number of different statutes that talk to signatures. Like no more than double or yeah, something. Yeah, I think it was no more than double. Five, some of them go, say minimum of 5%, maximum of 8%. I, I don't know where the percentages came from, but that's in the statutes, no doubt. Some of them, some, and, and, and to follow up on Councilmember Bruno's, uh, most of the formulations have some minimum number. You, uh, 25 is, in one, in one case, a minimum number contained in the statutes. I personally don't think we need a maximum. I remember the days when you weren't supposed to file with more than double the number of, which means that as the candidate, you're involved in a lot more research to make sure Boy, I hope this signature that's taking up one of my 50 spots uh, is a valid one because I don't want to have an election challenge. And election challenges are a thing, and all the neophytes never see it coming. They, they sloppily circulate nominating petitions, and then they look like a, they've been hit by a truck when these uh, challenges are filed and they, there's deficiencies in their petitions. And that's not good for our democracy either. Councilmember Pianfetti. Thank you, Your Honor. Um, I was wanting to thank Tom, um, Councilmember Bruno, for circulating this um, because I, I felt it was something that we needed to address, um, especially because of ballot access. I thought, um, you know, in recent um, elections, it was something that I was considering. Um, my district has um, access to more voters. It does require me to get more signatures, but those signatures are um, sometimes easier to get because of the high percentage of um, registered voters. Uh, and so sometimes it's not as easy. 
as I helped um, other um, individuals get signatures, it sometimes was harder. So I was thinking about that a lot. Um, so I would be in favor of lowering it. The 25 seems fine to me. Um, I, I do think it's important uh, to get some signatures because um, it's good to meet people and it's good to let them know um, that you are running, but more importantly for them to ask you why and to question you and to make you think about um, what it is that is making you make that um, step and make you want to represent them and to see if you are the individual that they want representing you. So um, whether it's you know 25 people or whether it's 50 people at a maximum, it at least puts you out there and have to look at somebody and explain to them why you want to be sitting here. So. Um, I do agree that some signatures at the start and then the rest of the door knocking comes after your uh, petitions are approved. Uh, the other point of clarification um, for myself and, and maybe for others, this isn't tied into the 10-year plan. No. This was a separate study session. Um, so I just wanted to make that clear that this was um, Council Member Bruno after what had um, gone on. Um, with uh, Justin Michael Hendricks, he, he had the forethought to say, we need to change this and we need to change this now. So um, it's not because it's up every 10 years that, that we're looking at it. It did come individually um, through the study session. And so uh, I, I am kind of proud that that, that that happened and not tied into just that I guess because we don't see Fred in, in the hot seat all the time, so maybe that's why these came together, but um, they, they, were, they were separate. So I am in favor. I don't think um, the percentages that we need, the, the minimum number, um, I, you know, I'm good with 25 and, and leaving it at that and doubling it, so as a maximum. Thank you. Councilmember Gladney. So thanks for your presentation, Fred, uh, and thanks, Councilmember Bruno, for bringing this forward. I do have a quick question before I get into commentary, but um, this is just, just about number of signatures. This is not about anything like having to have the pages numbered correctly or any other rules, right? This is just sure. number of signatures. This is just the number of signatures. There, there are some other things not to get away from that are statutory in nature. Uh, that we don't, we don't. I don't. I don't think we have authority to, to control some of the okay. elements in the election code. Uh, there's something there. If I can interject myself, in your discussion of number of signatures, uh, you might want to talk about uh, if the signatures have to be from a district, and if they have to be registered voters. Those are, or residents of the district. There are some other facets of this that need to be discussed. Got it. So, okay, thank you. Um, so, I'll say I'm, I'm in favor of lowering the signature threshold. Um, that said, I, I do want to talk for a moment that I've always looked at running for office as a job interview. Um, and depending on how long the election season is, it can, can be a particularly long job interview. But um, this is sort of step one. I feel like the signatures, uh, it's sort of like you know, most jobs you go to or want to apply for. Um, look to have a, a, a job application filled out and, and a lot of places even a resume. Um, some places just take the job application, right? And some places, some places will just hire you on the spot. But they want something. 
And I sort of feel like this is, the signatures are, are the something. Um, I, I am in favor of lowering the amount because I, I don't want this to be, uh, I don't want it to inhibit people uh, from being able to, to be on the ballot, to, to, to run for office. I do, however, think it's beneficial. It may not feel like it at the time, but it's beneficial to, to go out there and collect signatures. Um, and there's different ways to do it. But, uh, you know, and, and you don't even have to get all of them for yourself. You can, get, you can have people that will help you collect signatures. And I think there's benefit in that, too. You, 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 it helps you kind of network, build a coalition, get people kind of invested in your campaign that will be hopefully coming up. Um, and then it, it sort of lays the groundwork, and it gets you familiarized with um, the voters that are in your district or city. Uh, and and it, it's, it's just a good, I think it's a good start. Um, and I know there have been some folks who are like, well, look, you know, you, 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 you should just be able to get on the ballot and then um, let the voters decide or, or what have you. And I don't know, I feel like there, we're sort of parsing over, I guess, the different areas of where we want the emphasis at in the... How, how people are looking at candidates. And what I mean by that is some people will say, like, well, just, just get your name on the ballot, and then we can do everything after that. People can look at you and make a decision. I don't know. I sort of feel like this should be part of that process. Um, and, and I will say, and, and granted, you can do as little or as much campaigning as you want to do. But if you put your name on the ballot, I feel like there should be a certain level of expectation I mean, you, you, are, you are going to have to, or you should anyway, talk to voters. You, you're going to have to complete questionnaires from local news organizations, local interest groups that want to know your views on things. You're going to have to do that. You are going to maybe have to go to candidate forums. Right? You're going to have to fundraise. You're going to have to put yourself out there, and you're going to have to do things. And that is just to hopefully get elected. Then, once you get elected, then that's a whole other level of work and expectations that you'll have. So, I guess that's why I'm like, you know, that's why I'm in favor of having a certain number of signatures. I mean, because every step along this path, you're going to have to do something. There are, there's, there are expectations upon you. And I guess I feel like there should be some expectations to get on the ballot. That said, it is way too complicated. And, it, it, and, and that's one reason why I asked my clarification question about are we just talking about number of signatures? Because that is just one of the hurdles and the hoops to jump through. And I say that as someone who's been involved in local politics for over 15 years. It, I, the petition process is, is uh, I think it's frankly confusing, um, uh, to put it mildly. Um, so, you know, every time there's a new election cycle, you have, to, you have to go around asking, okay, so how many signatures do I need, um, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so, yeah, let's just make it straight across the board. I'm fine with 25. We just sort of landed on that number, and I'm fine with that. My only question is, and I think one of the underlying things we're looking at here is fairness, um, right? Is it fair to do an across-the-board 25 signatures for district races and then just 25 at large? 
is, does that make it kind of, you know, and I say this as an at-large member, I mean, does it make it kind of easier on the at-large members then? Or do we want to do something more proximate? Do we want to say, well, hey, we've got five districts, and if we're doing 25 signatures for each district, do we want to do 125 to run at large? Or if that's too much, do we want to do like, do we want to make it higher? Do we want to make it 50, 75, whatever? Um, or just for the sake of, you know, easiness for everybody, do we just want to say, hey, 25 signatures across the board? I don't know. That's my only, um, I guess, question I have about that. Uh, I'm, you know, personally, I guess my preference would be have a higher level of signatures required for at large, but I'm also, I'm also fine if we just want to make it 25 for everybody. So, yeah. Councilmember Marmacaios. I tell you what, you know, uh, I never knew how, listen, it's nothing like the campaign. It really isn't. And the more, the better. Like, when you, when you have a, a good campaign race, like when the public really has, Man, I tell you, it brings some. So it brings number one the best out of the you, when you have a diverse selection. Um, I think that's amazing, and like as, as already been said, I mean that's just access to the ballot. You know, um, as a person that has had to collect signatures, as a person that has sat in um, uh, petition challenges, been a part of them, had my petitions challenged. I understand the complexities of it all. Um, a lot of times when you're new, in particular, um, you, you truly, I mean, you're, like you said, you get, you, uh, Council Member Bruno, you do feel a little bit blindsided because essentially you did go and get those signatures. And when you come out and someone says that, well, you, you didn't, and they, well, this person is, all of the complexities that, that happen um, during that process do limit um, and for in my do limit your candidates and it does uh, it does sting a lot a little bit more I think to your point about um, the past uh, um, 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 petition challenge there were a lot of I did it wasn't like the individual um, didn't go and get the petitions and stuff like that so I'm, I'm not, I'm in favor of lowering it. Like I said, it's just one piece, to be honest with you. Um, there's a lot more of the campaign season than the, that, that part right there. And if that helps more people uh, uh, feel comfortable um, and uh, gives the voters um, more of a, a choice, um, then that's fine with me. Anyone else? Um, I, I, um, I appreciate Councilmember Bruno circulating the study session request. I actually think it was before our current new district council members were seated. So it was actually signed by the prior council, but I think everybody signed off on the study session request and recognized that it would be good to, I think, equalize this and make it fair across the board and easier for ballot access. I, I think for me, the 25 is, is good. I do think showing 
showing some interest that you're that you are willing to go out and get signatures and um, that you want to run. I I think I think that's that's okay. And 25 should be um, should be doable for everybody. Um, I disagree with the idea that. I mean, I know it's harder in districts because there are, there are fewer voters than there are at large. I also think 25 is not such a high bar that it makes it, um, I mean, it's way lower than anything that we've had to do previously. And I, I feel like the district members can find 25 signatures or the people who decide to run in the districts can find 25 signatures. I think, Fred, you also asked about changing all the other rules, and I hadn't even really contemplated that. So for me, I came to this study session thinking just in terms of, of the total number of signatures um, and not all of the other statutory provisions and, and council rules associated with what we need to do. So for me, I'm not prepared to have that discussion, but... Um, you know, if people want to do that, that's something we could certainly do. Um, so uh, if I can uh, ask if it's potential that, that, that that's the only thing that can change. Uh, I, I want to call your attention just to the, there are many things that, that you can't change that are required in election processes. I'll give you an example. A statement of candidacy. Uh, it's a statutory requirement. It's across the board. Nobody's going to be... Uh, we, we don't change that, the state, part of the state election law. I also don't want don't to say that there's not going to be any, this, this might have the impact of curtailing election objections. I'd love to think that after having been through hundreds of these, uh, maybe it's, it's uh, uh, may not be the least favorite thing I do, but it's, it's uh, difficult, difficult to watch. Uh, but there's plenty of other reasons to challenge a petition. And even with 25 signatures, there'll be election challenges, mark my word, uh, because it's easy to goof up. It's easy not to read instructions. It happens to everybody. It's happened to a number of incumbents uh, who didn't put down what position they were running for, for instance, uh, or not submitting your statement of economic interests. Uh, there's, there's still a hundred different ways to, to louse it up. This is one facet of the election process, and uh, lowering the number of signatures by uh, changing the ordinance, that's, that's certainly doable in the near term. I would say um, I know that there are some local attorneys who have done some election law who have been talking about holding some um, how-to seminars to try to help people avoid um, petition objections. So that's something that maybe will occur. Um, but um, there are also some of us up here who have done it a lot. And if anybody is interested in running and wants to make sure they don't, you know, forget the comma or put the name of the office in the wrong way, um, you know, picking up the phone and talking to people who have done it before is a good way to do that, and I'm sure that um, people would be willing to help. So, it's um, again, we want to we want to encourage folks to run and not make it harder. 
So with that, you need council direction. Our alternative is uh, provide direction. So let's start with the 25 signatures and I'll start at this end this time. Councilmember Reniguez. Yes. 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 And yes, you have direction. Do you need direction on anything else? I don't think so. Okay, thank you. Thank you. So we are now, well, I'm gonna let the city attorney move out of the way. Um, but we are now at the point of our meeting for audience participation. Um, you can step to the microphone, state your name, city of residence. Please limit your comments to five minutes or less. You'll notice that there is a five minute countdown clock. Thank you. Yes. Hello, my name is uh, Albert Moore. I live at 1601 West University in Champaign. I was here last week. Um, and yes, I am back. Um, I'll address the council as a whole so as not to circumvent any of the public rules of conduct that uh, by addressing individuals, individual council members. To open, I'd like to briefly read a few statements that the City Council has on their website. City Council welcomes and values your input. The Council invites you to share your comments in person. Residents are encouraged to share their questions, comments with the City Council at any time. Um, if you want to keep these in mind, I'll probably be referring to them later. Um, Myself and my wife were here primarily just to tell our story. That was our main thing that we came for. And we wanted to add our concern about gun violence that the whole city has experienced. But we also wanted to let you know how it affected us. Okay. Um, safety of the community members should be the most important thing that the council needs to address. If you do not have, or if a community does not have safety for the people there, the whole community is going to fail. It just Everything else is in jeopardy. You know, walking down the street, going to a business. Um, education's gonna be bad. People are not gonna have the opportunities that they need to have. So it's extremely vital that the community as a whole, not just individuals, be safe, okay? All these things are just incredibly important for a community to achieve. Okay, now in my past presentation, my wife and I wanted the council to achieve and fill the 25 vacant positions in the police department and more if we can get those. 
we think that that is just a very, very important first step. It's a logical first step to achieve safety. Um, now, this is not the only step. And we had expressed our appreciation at the council passing the gun reduction or the gun violence reduction blueprint. Um, and we hope it'll have positive results. Um, there's a lot in there. I've been trying to read it for, well, actually, I think I've read it about four times. And it's, there's a tremendous amount of information there, a lot of data. Um, some of it's confusing where I, I have to read it multiple times. Um, and it's a big job. And it's going to take a tremendous amount of work from the council, as well as the people that you've identified in here, the organizations, um, and all of their members and volunteers. Um, but again, I am hopeful that that'll produce some positive results. Now, regarding last week, uh, we were kind of perceived as not being part of any type of concerned citizen or a concerned member of the community. Okay, and we're not, uh, my wife and I are really not sure why that was. I'm clueless to that. However, the level of disrespect that we received, believe me, has not gone on unnoticed by the members of the community, not just the precinct that, or the area that I live in, but citywide. I've had friends, acquaintances, people that I don't know from the city, from Florida, all over the country call me and express their concern. So it's turned into quite a, uh, quite a, uh, I don't know what the correct word for that would be, but it's bothered me and my wife, um, affected our life almost as much as the bullet that went through our front window. Um, last week, we had a member that raised her voice, rapped on the desk, and anger was present. Okay? The council member's true self was pretty much on display for everyone to see. If you don't agree with me, your opinion really doesn't matter. Quote, I don't want to hear it. End quote. That's, well, you can decide for yourself. And then, 
to hear from another council, council member that these comments were seconded almost immediately was extremely disconcerting and to be treated that way is just unacceptable. It seems as though, you know, we had our character, our dignity, our moral compass questioned. You know, and it was just to suggest that it was suspect for it being, you know, lacking that it wasn't up to certain standards, maybe of theirs or whatever. It's uh, just inexcusable. Now, prior to last week, I had never spoken to the members of this council. However, in the five minutes that I was allowed, for somehow they presumed to know me and to know where I lived and where I reside is evidently an upper middle class neighborhood, which is not really the case. It's a mixed middle class neighborhood. Okay? Now, in uh, the News Gazette recently had uh, a joint statement that was issued by these by a couple members of the News Gazette. And uh, I'll quote that. They regret that members of our community feel that our comments lack respect for their concerns. And another quote, as we stated Tuesday night, we are grateful, really, hmm. we are grateful that community members show up to provide their opinions. Together we can all make a difference for the most vulnerable citizens of our community. I agree with the last statement. The first two shouldn't even have been written. And considering the, the manner that we were treated, it's probably my duty to bring up the subject of conduct. The general public, everyone here, is supposed to address the council here in a specific manner. Not address individuals, address the whole. Okay, it's supposed to be respectful, even-toned, generally courteous, that type of thing. Now I've noticed that through my search of the city codes that you work by, there doesn't seem to be a code of ethics or conduct for the city council. Which is Maybe you didn't need it in the past, you know? But I think you really need it now.
Um, the code of ethics, you know, basically it's the foundation of public service so that you can, that helps build trust for the community. So they have trust in you and the job that you perform. However, I think that at this time, the ability of this council as far as create, you know, meaningful public engagement is severely diminished. I, you know, the initial lines that I read don't seem to be true. And many of you were here. You experienced it firsthand. And so did I and my wife and a lot of other people. Now, two members had chosen to identify me through their own personal lens. And it just, it, what it shows to me is that they are unable to see through their indifference. Um, I strongly suggest that the council find a good example of a, and I've found several, uh, code of ethics and conduct. And I think it needs to be part of the council's makeup. And in breaking from the rules of conduct, I think that since there's presently no way to censure anyone, um, for their conduct towards myself and my wife. Um, resignation seems like the only appropriate avenue. <laughs> my time is up, but I thank you for your attention. Thank you. I will remind everybody that our time limit is five minutes. I let Mr. Moore go over, but I will be asking everybody to keep their comments five minutes or less, please. Thank you, Ed Bohala Champagne. Uh, thank you all for allowing Mr. Moore to uh, state his case. The offensive statements made by Ms. Beck and then seconded by Mr. Fulmer demand that I address them. At last week's meeting, a very well-mannered, polite, and soft-spoken couple came to express concerns about their neighborhood of 48 years. They explained that they had, there had been a shooting by their home that left bullet holes in their front window. They were concerned, scared, and upset that this shooting happened and came to a city council meeting to express their concern, an action that anyone should be able to and more should make the effort to do. They made a plea to this governmental body that has a responsibility to not only address their concerns, but at least act like their concerns are being heard. Instead of showing an ounce of compassion, what did you do, Ms. Beck? You chastised them for having the audacity to come and voice their concerns because they live in a white, upper-class neighborhood, as if that somehow disqualifies them from having a right to speak at all. 
Your flippant arrogance continued when you told the citizenry that unless they, they weren't there to complain about the shootings in black and brown neighborhoods, you didn't want to hear it, period. Well, I live in their neighborhood. When I look out my front door, I see 16 houses. In those houses are four black families, two Latino families, and two vacant homes. The neighborhood has white, black, brown, Hispanic, Indian, Asian, single, married, retired, and on fixed incomes, old and young, the poor, and people who do okay. We have neighbors who are gay, straight, friendly, and not so friendly, and neighbors that we all look out for. We have black-owned businesses in the strip mall in our neighborhood and a gas station operated by an Indian family from whose parking lot this shooting originated. Shall I go on? Our neighborhood is many things, but upper class, white, it is not. None of this really matters because it shouldn't make any difference what neighborhood you come from. Every citizen of this community has a right to be heard. Like a teenage schoolyard bully, you intentionally humiliated two law-abiding citizens for complaining about gun violence in our community. How dare they? Our community and the gun violence surrounding it is not limited to the black and brown communities, as you put it. Since you obviously haven't been paying attention, it's everywhere. You then leveled a terrible attempt to apologize for your transgression that was no apology at all. You attempted to lay blame with the victims for not understanding what you meant. We understand exactly what you meant. You said what you believe and you meant what you said. Once again, you have re-victimized victims. If Mr. Fulmer were here, I would say this to him. You cannot escape mentioning this. By seconding what Ms. Beck said, you might as well have said it yourself. So you are equally guilty. These victims live in the district that he claims to represent. Is this the treatment we all should expect? It's human nature to be concerned about the neighborhood you live in. Yet both of you feel that they don't live in the right neighborhood to justify a voice. Shame on you. Mr. Fulmer at a council meeting last year spouted that those speaking to the council needed to display a particular level of respect during their orations. Let me educate him. Not you or anyone who sits on this council. Not any city employee that sits to my left or anyone standing behind me. None are entitled to respect based simply on their perceived position of privilege. I learned early on in life and most certainly as a police officer that respect can only be earned. Earned by those words and actions that command it. You cannot buy it, insist upon it, or demand it. You can only earn it. In my view, neither of you have earned it. As for the rest of the council, I have heard that at least two of you called the victim and apologized for what was said by Beck and Fulmer. If that's true, I applaud you. However, I was shocked that when given the opportunity to comment, none of you took advantage to condemn what was said. This leaves us to believe one of a few things. I will grant you that some of you may have been so shocked in the moment that you just couldn't respond. Completely understandable. We were all shocked. The other possibility is that you believe what was said, and if so, shame on you. The third is that, like the followers of the schoolyard bully, you remain silent because at least she's attacking them and not me. Again, shame on you. So, Ms. Beck and Mr. Former, let me tell you what the law-abiding citizens of this community don't want to hear. We don't want to hear your self-righteous or dismissive comments anymore. If you cannot be supportive of the victims of the entire community, then resign. Period. Please step forward. Please state your name and city of residence. My name is Chuck Iman, a resident of Champaign. I have something to read to the council. I want to say first, I respect the council, everybody who is on the council, your time commitment, the, the, how you try to represent the community. But I'm going to read this 
and I'm going to identify two council members also, Councilwoman Beck and Falmer, for last week's meeting. I have come tonight to the council to discuss my, uh, express my views on the disturbing comments from last week's meeting. I've been a resident in this city since 1966, and I've lived in my now address for 45 years. Last week, I began my day by reading the paper and reading the article about the council meeting and the comments from Councilwoman Beck. When I read the article, I was quite disturbed. And then when I saw the video, I became very angry. The comments by Councilwoman Beck and the second of those comments by Councilman Felmer, I found to be shockingly disrespectful and rude to bully and belittle two people who have come to the meeting to express their concern about the lawlessness that has taken over our community, having just had bullet holes in their living room window is shameful, just shameful. And I want to say right now, I do not know the Moors. The Moors came to the meeting to ask for more police to help curb gun violence. Ms. Beck took it upon herself to attack them for speaking out. To quote Ms. Beck, where have you been? Well, I can tell you where they've been, Ms. Beck. They've been living in their life, their life in retirement, worrying like most of the rest of the community about being gunned down by a bunch of thugs driving around shooting guns at each other. You've been elected to this council to represent the people of our community and your district. Why do you, who do you think you are to look down your nose from your podium up there and pound on the damn table while you speak to those people? That's just shameful. I'm here tonight to ask that you resign as councilwoman. Please stand up and resign. You couldn't, re you couldn't stand up at Officer Overheim's funeral. Is there anyone else who wishes to address the council? <laughs> Chad Smith, Champagne. I'm gonna to try to make it short because I'm gonna reserve the rest of my time for those people who actually wanna speak over. I'm not encouraging anybody to speak over, but I do recognize that there is over seven minutes of extended talk, which you guys can actually file these to ha give extended times. Anyhow, Matt, you need to start the timer actually. <laughs> oh, thanks. So I wanna thank the Moore family for actually coming in to speak up about their situation. I'd encourage more citizens of Champaign to do, in Urbana, to do the same thing. Not just because something happened in their community, because they heard something about their community. Because it's not just, I'm sorry, let me back up and say not community, but neighborhood. It's not just about your neighborhood, it's about your community. And that one sick or infected, those are not the right words, I'm sorry. Uh, the one troubled areas, can affect the rest of the community. And we see that here in Champaign. So thank you for coming out, okay? As for Councilmember Beck, I have seen her support many of ideas and communities all over the range. There is some, I do identify with uh, a part of what she was saying. I do think that it was out of pocket and emotionally driven. So I'm not asking for a resignation because I think and I know you do good work and you, you fight for the right things. I see it. 
I hear it. So, as I know that this is uh, emotionally driven in a lot of ways, um, I just ask everybody to, to work in the community. Think about the other things, other neighborhoods in the community. And not just speak up when it's your neighborhood, okay? If we together fight together, work together, we can combat this a lot faster than actually coming up here to, to encourage council members to make policy change or changes within our city government to, to, do the, to, to correct what's happening. As a community, we can do things faster than this council can. And I don't think one council member up here would actually uh, disagree with that. So thank you guys very much for your time and for everything you do. Thank you. Please step forward, state your name and city of residence. Timothy Jimenez, Champagne. Matt, you need to, yep, got it. Thank you. Good evening. My name is Timothy Jimenez. Since 1998, I have resided in the city of Champaign. I am a third generation Mexican-American and was born and raised in predominantly Mexican neighborhoods of Pilsen and Little Village, Chicago. Growing up in these neighborhoods, I witnessed firsthand much of the violence you now see here in Champaign. So sadly, it's nothing new to me. However, I am very concerned. I want to address Councilmember Alicia Beck's divisive and tone-deaf comments stated at the last council meeting, specifically directed towards Albert and Claudia Moore, but also including individuals who in the past may have been victims of a crime or future victims of crime. As a sitting representative of Champaign, it's a shame you know nothing of this city and its people. In response to the Moore's concerns of violence, you stated, and I quote, it's happening in neighborhoods that are predominantly black and brown. Your statement is false. Champaign and many of its neighborhoods are pretty diverse. I can drive down any street through any neighborhood and see different races, cultures, religions, and genders living side by side. On my block alone, including 13 residents, there are African-American families, white, Asian, and Mexican. And within the last two years, we've had two homicides within a block's radius and one shooting with no injuries. So it's not just black and brown neighborhoods. You stated, quote, so I appreciate people coming in and telling us they're concerned and being upset, but until you come in because somebody else's neighborhood is being shot up, I don't wanna hear it. Your comment victim shames the Moors. How would you feel if you yourself were a victim of sexual assault and the Champaign Police Department said, sorry, ma'am, since you've never previously advocated for other victims of rape, we don't wanna hear it. Your last comment, again, your quote, I want you to come in because you're concerned that black and brown babies are being shot in the street. It's just sickening. And I believe the families of Officer Oberheim, Liam Gasser, and others could attest that violence can occur anywhere, anytime to anyone. In a matter of one minute and 40 seconds, you manage to stand on your soapbox, spew out ignorant statements, rip away the right of the Moors, previous victims and future victims of crimes, to voice their concerns all because they never advocated or spoke up prior. Your comments were shameful and embarrassing. In the future, when you are attempting to virtue signal, I ask that you refrain from referring to us as brown. Coming from you, that seems offensive. I prefer the term Mexican, Mexican-American, or Latin. So when attempting to be a savior, at least allow us some dignity. If you had any humility or decency, you and council member, council member Michael Former would apologize publicly, publicly to the Moors and the citizens of Champaign you may have offended that night with your comments, then resign from your position. 
on the city council. However, I don't expect either one of you to do so because you both lack that courage. To admit when you're wrong or have any ethics. So all I can ask of you and Mr. Fulmer is after the 28th, when the mask mandate expires, continue wearing your mask to hide your faces. Please state your name and city of residence. Please limit your comments to five minutes or less. Jenny Swedberg, Urbana resident, members of the council. I'm here tonight to discuss the comments made by council members during the February 15th council meeting. Council members' comments to Mr. and Mrs. Moore last week marginalized and minimized the experiences and trauma that members of their community have faced. Their comments gave the perception, whether they intended them to or not, of suggesting that attending council meetings is the only way for people to get involved in their community. They put stipulations on who is allowed to address the council as well as terms and timelines that they deem acceptable for their constituents to voice their concerns. They discount the personal sacrifice that it takes to be here and they disregard the vulnerability that it takes to stand before you. I want you to know that involvement in our communities looks different to different people. Some donate to support local causes, some work hard for local businesses and organizations, some get involved at church, some can only do a small portion of those things. For some, being involved in their community simply means being a good friend and neighbor to those that they interact with, to live and work among people of all races, beliefs, and cultures, and to show respect to every single one. But your constituents should not have to have a list of good deeds, brownie points, or justifications to get to talk to you about the issues. And the five minutes that we have to speak do not give you enough time to formulate an opinion about us or our motivations. It's not your place to judge us or place contingencies on how we express our thoughts and fears. It's your job to reassure the community that they're being heard. Unlike us, it's literally your job to care. It's your job to listen to every opinion and make actionable change with it. You don't get to dismiss someone based on who you think they are or where they came from. No one who lives here is oblivious to the gun violence as you condescendingly suggested that Mr. and Mrs. War Moore were the other week. Who could be? And how dare you suggest such a ridiculous thing? There are gunshots going off around the city at all times of day. No one is immune to it. Of course we know it's happening, nowhere is safe, and the residents of the city feel it. And your asinine and incorrect assumption that other neighborhoods have not been impacted is offensive and belittles the terror that we all have faced in recent years. Whether we're rich or poor, white or black, no one in this community can feel safe in their own homes. And that is a devastating and debilitating thought. Of course we're mad, and of course we care. I'm mad when one, someone one block away from me is shot, or someone in the lowest socioeconomic neighborhood is shot. This is a tiny community, and what happens in one neighborhood impacts everyone. I'm heartbroken that our society is so broken that violence and hatred supersede all else, and I fervently wish to see this change. But my ability to attend these meetings and personally convey that opinion to you does not mean that I or anyone else here lack empathy or compassion for our neighbors who are suffering. As a collective community, gun violence impacts everyone. It impacts our reputation, our economy, and our safety. It erodes trust and takes away from our enjoyment and fulfillment of our hometown. Everyone who lives here feels those losses acutely, whether we personally express it to you or not. We're mad because any loss of human life is a tragedy. Any person who is at risk and in danger deserves a better life. And I'm mad when I start to hear loud sounds and I hug my baby daughter to my chest and pray that the sounds I'm hearing are fireworks and not gunshots. But based on your statement, you don't care because I have not aligned my experience to your cause. Well, unlike you, I don't discriminate about who's worthy of my time, care, or compassion. Unlike you, the people tonight do not either. And thank goodness for that, because this community is not in need any, any more narrow-minded individuals. We clearly have more than enough on, that, on our city council. 
Because you are in a position of power, I want to believe that you listen to your constituents. That's your job and it's why you were elected. You have the ability to make the change that we the people see fit. You serve everyone in case you've forgotten, not just those who fit into your agenda. Mr. and Mrs. Moore made a great point at the last meeting, which you dismissed, that I would like to second. While funding the police is not in your agenda, I believe that it absolutely should be. We do not have to sit here and pretend that we must exclusively fund the police or exclusively fund social welfare programs. As most things in life, the truth lies somewhere in the middle. But helping the socioeconomically disadvantaged does not remove the necessity of justice. It cannot change the fact that the people who choose to use a gun to solve their problems must be held accountable for it. Just like it's your job to care, well, I believe it's your job to care whether you do or not, I know that the police officers of this community do care, but it's really hard to do that when certain members of this council actively undermine and dismiss them because you've turned their careers and livelihoods into a political circus show. And you wonder why you have so many vacancies on your police force. In closing, it is your responsibility to care about the opinions of your constituents. That's literally your job. Caring means you stop minimizing the concerns of the people before you, support the police, do your job, and care about all people in the community. Thank you. Please step forward, state your name and city of residence. My name is Martin Miller. I'm from Champaign. I've been coming to this council for more than 17 years. I have been disrespected by the mayor of Champaign up here at the podium. Not this mayor yet, but our name is Jerry Swihart. He's interrupting me because he didn't like what I was saying all the time. I was sitting in here when they came up and they talked about gun violence. I'm going to tell you about gun violence in my life in the last two years. No, since 2018, I lost the best friend to gun violence. My wife was sitting next to me at the last city council. She lost a son a year ago from gun violence. I lost a cousin about five months ago to gun violence. I lost an uncle eight years ago to gun violence. We want to talk about gun violence. And I understand what Ms. Beck was saying. You know, I've been coming here talking about, better yet, I had a mentor program, lost four individuals out of my mentor program to gun violence in Champaign. What she was saying that the people wasn't coming until it hit their doorstep. I didn't see the council really get involved with gun violence to the way I felt until a person got shot downtown. Then it started to affect the downtown businesses. But to come to you here and say that she should resign, I don't think you say that. So she may didn't say it like y'all want to hear it or say it like y'all want to hear it, but gun violence has been in this town, I say since 2009, when it was government gun, gun violence, when Kiwan Carrington got killed, you know? And it affected our community. It affected my, my son. I had a son who used to ask me, Daddy, do you think the police gonna kill me? And I said, no, just do what they say. But he got beat by the police. I had two sons jumped on by police. The police budget in Champaign is the, is the most money come out our budget. Our, our police department ain't being defunded. They just ain't getting police to come and apply for the police department. no more. And, and what happened with that was the George Floyd. If you want to go with history, George Floyd, for an officer killing a man on TV, took a day, days to charge him, affected what happened with the police today. Police, and when I was growing up, was like they come and invade our community. They wouldn't come to serve us, to help us. 
I could not cross university to walk to Green Street to play video machines without getting stopped by the police telling me to turn around. The only way I could make it to, to Green Street to go to the video place, I would have to walk down to Neal Street to Walnut Street to Green Street to not get stopped by the police, and I, and I wasn't doing anything. So when we're talking about police, we don't need more police. We need a different way to police. We had a chief in this town allowed his police officers in uniform to call us N-words. You know, I, I can talk about, I came to a city, what you call it, uh, when the city council meeting, the commission meeting, name five officers. Mr. Miller, I'm going to ask you to address the council okay. and not. Now, oh, okay. I want them to know what's going on when I hear them say this. Name five officers that my community named that was going through our community, putting just putting people through hell. That's all I'm going to say. They wrote um, Garden Hills, why they can't get people to talk to them in Garden Hills. They went to Garden Hills and wrote more jaywalking tickets in Garden Hills where there was no sidewalks, no streets, than they ever wrote on the University of Illinois. And y'all can go through there right now. At, at 12 o'clock, you got 50 people jaywalking. Ain't following no structure. But this would happen in our community. When we're talking about uh, the police department, and here's what I'm going to say. We got to take away a new way to police. I wish our police was part of our community. They didn't stay in Homer. They didn't stay in Monticello. But they come here and they are at our council. But, they, but our town ain't good enough for them to stay in. You know, that's the things we need to have. We, have. we need to have police to stay in our community, know our community, shop with our community. That's how we can change things. Get economic development. I've been talking to the city about investing in people and things, black businesses, for years. If you want to change what's going on in the black community, put some money in there. They, put, they finally put money in the people, and people complaining about that. They got these new organizations, been volunteering for 10 years, wasn't getting paid for it. Now they got money for them, and people complain about that. You know, and for a guy to come up here and talk for 11 minutes, they don't tell me I got to leave because my five minutes up. I have got thrown out the city council because I interrupted somebody just to see what they would do with me. I was the, the chief of police, the, so I said the sergeant's arms would call on me for me to be removed. You know, that's privilege. And, and you know, I'm gonna tell you right now, and this is all I'm gonna say, if you give a black person an equal playing field, they will exceed and go above. If you don't believe that, look at all sports. Only thing we don't get a level playing field at starting a company. At, at housing. Uh, we had red marketing in this town for years. We, we just got in the last 30 years where we can really move out west and, and mix the neighborhood. We was locked in here for how they loan money. We don't talk about them things. That's why I'm up here talking right now. You can come talk about the gun violence and what happened in your neighborhood. Let's deal with the real problems. And that's what Ms. Beck was really saying. Deal with the problems. You know, don't come up here because something affected you. Let's get up here as a community and deal with the problem. Let's eliminate something. I asked for a homeless shelter. Mr. Miller, your I, time is up. I, I know it is. But you're, I you're, on a, you're on a new tangent. I, I'm, I'm going to stay on a tangent because we need a homeless shelter here. Won't somebody bring Mr. that? Mr. Miller, your to, time to is the up. Community. Thank Won't you. Thank you. Get a, um, Thank you. 
Please step forward, state your name, and city of residence. Please limit your comments to five minutes or less. Hello, my name is Leslie Krause. I'm a resident of Champaign. Um, I want to thank you again for letting me speak on the subject of sidewalk snow removal. Um, and I do emphasize allowing me because after the incident that occurred last week, I feel that sometimes certain people's concerns in this community are not equally welcome. Well, I happen to live in an upper middle class neighborhood and I certainly hope that I will be able to share my concerns again without such disregard. Uh, you'll recall on February 15th of last year, we had a major blizzard. I called neighborhood services later that week on February 18th to report the myriad of properties along Neal Street that hadn't cleared their sidewalks of snow. The person I spoke to on the phone claimed the ordinance hadn't even been activated yet. I asked how that's possible, given that it had already been four days since the snowfall took place. She had no explanation. So I did some digging on Facebook and discovered that Public Works had, in fact, earlier that day, activated the snow removal ordinance at 11 o'clock a.m. So there was clearly a communication breakdown in the city if the department responsible for enforcement didn't even know about this press release that was issued six hours earlier. This highlights another glaring issue. Property owners in Champaign were given until the weekend to clear their, their sidewalks, which of course meant that enforcement couldn't even take place till the following week. Indeed, the official announcement stated this, quote, sidewalks in downtown and campus town areas must be cleared of ice and snow before 11 a.m. on Saturday, February 20. Obviously, then, by Monday, the snow was already melting. A full week elapsed with no action taken against these neg negligent property owners. Interestingly, Urbana's snow removal ordinance is far more strict. It instead gives a 24-hour window for property owners to clear their sidewalks after, after a declaration from the Public Works Department. Urbana also has an electronic mailing list to notify property owners of these declarations. Therefore, I would like to propose that Champaign implement a similar 24-hour window and an electronic mailing list. I realize that requiring property owners to clear their sidewalks of snow and ice is a contentious issue, mostly due to concerns of civil liability, which are vastly overblown, of course. We've had multiple articles in the News Gazette on the subject, including this one from January of 2018, titled, Yes, Towns Can Require Shoveling Public Walks, on which Land of Lincoln legal advisor Brett Capley points out that local governments can mandate sidewalk snow removal by property owners for the general public welfare. Another article from that same issue is titled, Liability over snow um, hinges on natural, um, in which Brett Kepler again uh, acknowledges that, uh, that reckless disregard for public safety is the only concern when it comes to um, property owners clearing public sidewalks. To help resolve this confusion, I would like to propose that the city explore ways to more effectively educate the public about the legalities of sidewalk snow removal in Champaign, whether through social media hashtags uh, PSA is aired on TV and radio, etc. This brings me to the elephant in the room. Why are property owners required to maintain public sidewalks in the first place? Well, technically, city sidewalks and streets are a form of easement known as a right of way. So while the land itself is privately owned to the center line of the street, the landowner is granting a limited right for the public use, in this case for pedestrians and vehicles. Based on my research, municipalities have a broad authority to manage 
or regulate these rights of way, including establishing ordinances for removal of natural accumulations. A municipality also has a duty to exercise ordinary care and the construction, repair, and maintenance of its public streets to keep them reasonably safe for travel. In addition to motor vehicles, this extends to bicycles and pedestrians. Perhaps it's time for Champaign to finally take on the responsibility of clearing public sidewalks and become a model community. After all, there's a campaign now underway to make this happen in Chicago, uh, known by a coalition as Better Street Chicago. Why couldn't we lead this charge as well? I realize this will require investment in staffing and equipment, but we already have taxpayer dollars being funneled into street plowing. Why can't there be funds set aside for sidewalk snow removal? This would finally create parity in our public infrastructure, and it only seems fair. The city could announce this initiative over the summer, seeking public input, uh, seeking public input and conducting analysis of foot traffic. Certain major corridors could be assigned priority status to allow a trial period to evaluate the program's efficacy for the next winter and then ramping up to full-scale sidewalk removal in 2023. Key stakeholders could be involved, such as MTD, Unit 4, Parkland College, UIUC, and social services agencies to ensure that everyone that depends on their city sidewalks and public transit in their daily life are adequately and equitably accommodated. Thank you for your consideration. Once again, thank you for allowing me to speak. Thank you. Please step forward, state your name, and city of residence. Uh, Craig Walker, City of Champaign. Uh, 2-22-22. Craig Walker and Tom Bruno agree. We know the stars are aligned. See, Tom and I don't agree much. But he, he, he still calls me his friend, and I still call him my friend. Because I know that he cares about Champagne. We have roots to go way back. His, he went to law school with my dad. So there's no question about that. And I was here last week to hear about a great plan approval put together by staff of the public safety plan, the blueprint, that's changing the landscape for Champaign in a very, very significant way. And, um, you know, I was sitting right behind you, I think, and, and when the comments came, I was shocked. And I was shocked because I know Alicia Beck, and that was not the Alicia Beck I knew. And in today's culture, we're very quick to be aggrieved, which I understand the Moors' grievance. They have a, they, they're, they're right in their grievance. They came here to express what their situation was. And unfortunately, a sentiment was expressed in a very wrong and, and tone-wise incorrect. But there was a message there that I can tell you that people like Martel and others have, have articulated. But I think at this time, we need to look beyond trying to force resignations and things of that nature because we don't have time for that. A blueprint has been established. Money has been brought to the city. I see a lot of people here tonight, and I don't come to every council meeting, but I try to come at least once a month, and it's a lot more crowded tonight than it's normal, and then we have these things that happen that we have a busy night. Wasn't a busy night last Tuesday. 
It only had a few people here, and we were yet passing one of the most comprehensive public safety blueprints that addresses all areas of our community, and for the first time in the history of Champaign, has a focus on the black and brown communities of Champaign in a way that changes how we can police our citizens. And I can tell you, when the Back to Blue were here, not too long ago, I met with them, Amber Oberheim, members of the Back to Blue, and we sat in a room, and we talked about what our priorities are. And we agreed on most of them. And in fact, one of them was Garden Hills, which was being discussed that night that Back to Blue was here. And they became aware of the situation was going on in Back to Blues, and we got behind that. Since that time, their initiatives, bonuses, LPRs, uh, all the equipment they asked for, more retention bonus, those were all approved. The things that the community wanted, the public safety blueprint, those were all approved. And so what I'm saying is if we come together and work together, we can get to solutions. There's gonna be hiccups. This was an unfortunate incident. But we, I'm not into the cancel culture. Um, she was duly elected, she represents a district, she's done good work, as it was outlined. She's championed causes that are important to my community, specifically. She's a progressive warrior, and she made a very, very big mistake, and she will be held accountable for that. But as a community, we can't be, we can't turn out for this. This is not what we should be turning out for. We should have been all here on the 15th and talking and with the Moors when they talked about their situation. And we should be saying, okay, let's come together because we got new tools, we got new investment. We need to recruit 25 police officers. That's gonna take a community-wide effort. And so I just ask that we take this opportunity to come together for what can be a great opportunity for Champaign to combat the gun violence we face, with the tools that have been given to us. And in the other side of this, in two years, we can say, job well done. Thank you. Thank you. Please step forward, state your name and city of residence. Erica Perez, Champaign. I watched February 15th's comments with outrage and disbelief, which is why I am here tonight. First, I'll say what I thought was a peaceful neighborhood is now a place where I am terrified to let my three young children play outdoors. The week of the shooting, they were outside every single day. I can't go outside without having flashbacks to multiple police officers at our door combing the yard for shell casings. The criminals exited their vehicles to engage in a gun battle a mere 45 minutes after I called my children inside. It was broad daylight when we heard dozens of gunshots outside our front window. The noise was so deafening, it woke my two-year-old. Some counsel suggested that gun violence victims only show up when it affects them. I submit that this is natural and necessary as we have little to no recourse but to speak in a public forum about our trauma. There is no way to get justice or way to ensure it won't happen again tomorrow. We feel completely helpless, especially knowing we will now come here to be vilified and ridiculed as if we are the criminals. Would you prefer we show up every time a gun crime is committed in Champaign-Urbana? 
We hear gunfire on an almost nightly basis, but we have no information to give you. So we sit in our beds listening to weapons discharging as if that is normal and acceptable. You do not have enough space in this room to hold everyone in this community affected by crime. This is, as you admitted, not an isolated incident. It's the systemic problem in our city that continues to be ignored with meetings and promises to placate us until the next time. What audacity to berate the brave victims who stepped forward last week and spoke about their home receiving gunfire and also stand up for my children. The response is something I am stunned by as it lacks basic humanity and compassion. Would anyone want to step forward after in such an uncaring, uncalled for response that had absolutely nothing to do with what the victims were saying? Is it policy to attack people for not speaking, but when they do, they're supposed to accept a scolding for an answer? I have to assume that the two members of this council who spoke out so recklessly, as well as those who seconded comments that are supposed to represent our district, are unaware of the geography of Champaign, Illinois. This incident, which happened in my front yard, was two blocks east of Mattis Avenue. We are not an upper middle class white neighborhood. As was stated inaccurately, we are a diverse neighborhood and speaking for myself and others are definitely not wealthy, but this should be irrelevant. Not one of you, including our district representative who's absent tonight, came to my house, responded to my email describing what happened in my yard. The problem is not the people coming to speak here. The problem is not only an uncaring city council, but one that somehow manages to twist issues to dole out anger and blame. This is not a slip up, as some have suggested. This is a measured pattern of ignoring the pain of the city unless the victims meet an unknown list of qualifications in order to be allowed their feelings. It was business as usual and it was reprehensible. You congratulate yourselves on the recent passing of items that are supposed to help our city, but you don't have the energy to make a phone call? I'm told that a social worker will visit injured victims in the hospital. If a person is killed, however, it's too late. And if they aren't hit by physical bullets, no one will acknowledge the trauma and post-traumatic stress we now grapple with. This is not a party issue. This is not an issue of color or race, as was implied by counsel alone. Any victim of a shooting is just that, a victim. Any family member would grieve. My children's lives matter no more and no less than counsel's children or any other child. If my children were murdered in the streets that day, would you shrug your shoulders because they didn't fit the narrative? And if they were killed, would I have less of a right to be devastated beyond all comprehension? The subject was changed to shift blame. Your campaign promises and handshaking are awfully meaningless now. Champagne is coming to you for the answers you promised. We are coming to you for solutions you were elected to provide. But just as much, we come to you as human beings, hoping to be met with even the slightest amount of empathy, not scorn, not blame, and definitely not victim shaming. Just basic decency and respect we deserve as your constituents and neighbors. That begins with a true apology to the Moore family most of all, and to everyone in our neighborhood who was disrespected last week. I cannot say this more clearly. If a member of council brazenly states that they do not want to hear the people they are supposed to represent, then they should resign immediately so that seat can be occupied by someone who will listen. As the mayor said in her apology, that is the most important responsibility of all and some members of this council have failed in it. That is unacceptable. Thank you. Thank you. Please step forward.
Tiffany McNeely, Champagne. Good evening, everyone. Um, I want to say to the Moors, I am very happy that they did come and express their experience, um, as many people have in this community. And I just want to say, um, I'm not a lifelong resident of Champaign, but I've been here over 20 years. And we have a beautiful community. Um, I am going to do my best to read over the gun violence reduction plan because of the things that I've heard, I really feel like it is a very good start. Um, I want to also say that we have to focus on what the issue is and not the opinions of people about the issues. Um, without focusing on those specific issues, we will never find a solution. There was not just one solution, there are many solutions. And policing is one of them, but it is not the end all and be all. And I ask that everyone here, you'll see more of me because I've just become, I don't know, excited excited about what the future holds for Champaign-Urbana. And I believe it is going to be a rough role, but I believe that if all of us come together as a constituency and really believe in a better Champaign, we will be a model city of how to tackle gun violence from Champaign to California. Let us all do it together and not just pick, you know, pick out people who have made a mistake or made a comment that was a little out of season. Thank you. Thank you. Is there anyone else? Please step forward, state your name and city of residence. Mark Medlin, Champaign, Illinois. The genesis for this began last Wednesday at 10.50 when someone called Penny for your thoughts and mentioned what had happened at the prior council meeting. This irritated me to no end because it was clear that the city council, those that didn't make those comments, abdicated their responsibility that night by not saying something then. Mr. Wahala mentioned earlier about bullies. All of us have been told about bullies. Some of us were the bullied, some of us were the bully. Some of us watched in silence. I remember when I was uh, 10 years old, moved to a brand new neighborhood. Didn't know anybody except my brothers on the bus and didn't know anybody. There's a young girl who had been a year younger than my age, so she would have been in the fourth grade, who had some um, health issues. And the kids, being kids, would pick on her. They had known her who she was, and they were picking on her because she'd lived in the neighborhood for a couple years before me. And finally, all four foot 11 of me and 63 pounds walked up to him and told him to stop. And they were, they were uh, sixth and seventh and eighth graders. And later that night, and I didn't know this young lady at all, her mother called my mother and thanked me for what I did. And I didn't think I had done anything special. And yet, for the past two years, I've heard council members call police officers Indian killers and slave catchers. And nobody on this council has ever addressed that. I had my council member at a uh, uh, neighborhood watch meeting or neighborhood association meeting, and I called her out on it. 
And yet last week, nobody had the stones to stand up and say, hey, that's wrong. We shouldn't have said it. Instead, we have attorneys who suddenly say, well, I was so confused, I didn't know what to say. Common decency is what you don't know. When you see somebody that's being attacked verbally, we don't say anything. If you go down the Champaign Police Department's policy and procedure manual, if a Champaign police officer had done that to a citizen, it is incumbent upon another officer to stop that interaction. And you would demand that that person, both people, actually, receive discipline. And yet we don't have any of that here. We have no mechanism for censure or anything else. And perhaps it's time that this city looks into censure where we pass a resolution saying your comments were so egregious that we can't have this. It happens, it happens all the time in Congress. It happens all the time in the Illinois State Legislature. And yet, we have no mechanism. And the main thing is, is that we had nobody stand up last week and say, hey, this is wrong. We shouldn't be saying that. That's the part that irritates me to, to no end, is that when you don't do anything, you are actually condoning the bullying. And, I, and you know, I'm, when I was called, or the men and women of the Champaign Police Department who had just suffered a death and were called the following week slave catchers and Indian killers, I about lost my mind. And yet nobody on this council addressed that. So the comments that were made last week were not in error. Some people say, well, it's an honest mistake. It wasn't. There are no coincidences. Rule number six in law enforcement, there are no coincidences. That was a deliberate, reasoned speech that was made by a reasoned person who is a progressive. And, you know, we talk about neighborhoods. I live in Turnberry, probably one of the most diverse neighborhoods in the city. And we talk about gun violence. Last year, I was at my home in, in, in Indiana. And I got a phone call. What are you doing? I said, well, I'm walking the dog. Why? Well, we're chasing a gunman across your front yard. Great. So I called my wife. She didn't answer. So now I'm frantic, thinking the gunman is now in my house. She had seen the four squad cars sitting out front and locked the doors. So violence, gun violence, is attacking all the neighborhoods in this town. You can't take the trash out without hearing gunshots. I got off the train a year ago, knew exactly where the shots were coming from. This town, you know, and, and when you have citizens that come down, it's very hard to come up and speak. And I'm certainly, if, if, if those comments had been made, I guarantee you, we would have responded that night at that moment. Respect goes two ways, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else wish to address the council? Hi, my name is Nicholas Dale. I am a resident of Champaign, Illinois. Can we get this pulled up here? Is there, how'd we do that? Brian, are you able to turn on the Elmo? Okay. So, this. You need to speak in the microphone so people at home okay. can hear. So, you. this is uh, some of the data that was released last December of the 
gun violence in Champaign. I was watching this from my home and I drove here because I have something to say. The gun violence is happening in predominantly district number one and district number three. Yes, the gun violence does affect all neighborhoods, but predominantly it is in number one and number three. And if we look at the amount of registered voters right here, um, District 5 has the most registered voters. They are one of the uh, more affluent neighborhoods, one of the more wealthy. Um, and District 4 as well. And if I'm not mistaken, District 4 is where this incident happened at. I want to commend everyone on the council for doing the research. Um, and then I want to commend everyone in the audience here for being Sir, here. you need to address the council. Oh, okay. Well, um, as Councilmember Beck was saying, District 4 is a more affluent and wealthier neighborhood. So she is not wrong by saying that. And we live in the United States of America. We have freedom. We have a First Amendment right to speak our minds. So yes, it was a little bit abrasive for her to say that she didn't want to hear it. But at the same time, we have freedom of speech. There's nothing that stops any city, anybody in the city from coming up here and speaking their opinion. That's what politics is. Everyone may not agree with what they hear, but the data, the science, it speaks for itself. This is where the violence is happening at. We need to figure out how do we get these neighborhoods how do we educate them? How do we make them feel as if they have a voice, as if they can come here and they can speak? Because it's, it's ironic that the, the, the shutdown that happened, saying I don't want to hear it, and the oppression, that's what many black people experience all the time, is oppression. And when it happens to a white family, everything goes chaotic. I want to say that Black Lives Matter, and lastly, I'd like to observe a moment of silence for all those lost with the gun violence. Thank you. Thank you. Please step forward. State your name and city of residence. Hi, my name is Terry Gaddis. I'm in Champaign. Uh, so I just went over a year ago. Nearly I ask year, you to pull the mic up so sorry. that we can hear you. Thank ne you. Nearly a year ago, we started seeing the change. You know, we, people came here. While we didn't necessarily come here and say we were here fighting for certain lives, what we were asking for was for the city council to back the police to support the police, which they didn't feel supported. Since then, there seems to be an initiative moving forward with their contract, with the initiative from last week. It seems to be in a positive direction. What I would ask you is, if the, or I would ask you this, if tomorrow a police officer were to say the same thing that was said last week, would we just be turning, our, turning a blind eye? 
the police officer, you would terminate immediately if they made a comment that way. With no question, they would be terminated. But yet, it's a different standard, and maybe it's because there's not a, a rule of ethics here, and maybe that is what's necessary. I appreciate how far we've come in a year for the law enforcement and for the support you've given them, for them to be able to combat the gun violence which affects everybody. So, thank you. Thank you. Is there anyone else who wishes to address the council? All right, seeing none. Council comment? Council Member Niguez? Thank you all for uh, coming in and um, expressing your, uh, your opinions, your frustrations, your comments, your concerns. Um, I've had a week to really wrap my mind around a lot of thoughts and ideas, uh, so I had to you know, put it down on paper because if not, I'll ramble forever, as most people know. But um, last week we had a meeting that I was unable to attend. I run a small business in my district and had to deal with some unforeseen issues that kept me late. I wasn't expecting the meeting to be very eventful, but as I watched the video clip that was circulated, I couldn't help but let anger consume me. My only thought was wishing I had been here in person as I would not have shied away from responding to the remarks that were made and not to second that. As the week wore on, the emotions in me calmed. I thought to myself that it's actually fortunate that I was not at the meeting. I feel the civility expected from our government and elected officials, which is sorely lacking in some areas, would have gotten worse if I had engaged with a knee-jerk reaction with the emotions being as high as they were. That would have brought me down to a level I would not have been proud of. When I ran for this seat, I ran on a platform of civility. I ran on the promise that I was not interested in partisan politics, I was not interested in divisive language, that the improvement of the communities that needed support and resources, the safety of all of our neighborhoods and the people in them, the support of a well-staffed, well-vetted police department with representation from the community are not mutually exclusive. And despite being attacked personally during the campaign, along with my business, which is my livelihood that I started from nothing, including the people I'm friends with, I'm here in this seat because I think my message resonated. I think back to so many years of my life spent in poverty, neglected, depressed, watching my parents slowly destroy themselves with drugs, experiencing a home invasion at 11. I still remember looking at the barrel of the gun pointed at my head and hearing the words, don't move. It was surreal to me. It is surreal to me as an adult as I relived the moment in my head where my family was held at gunpoint. Despite how scared I was as a child, despite how these moments shaped my life, I've never turned to somebody from a different walk of life and said, I don't want to hear it because they weren't concerned about the kind of things happened be uh, that they didn't happen to them before. I remember speaking to a friend about things they experienced in the military that were so traumatizing and the struggle to overcome them. This person, the story they share made me sheepishly admit, wow, I feel so bad about complaining about my life in front of you. And this person, in their wisdom, love, and compassion simply said, when you hit bottom, you hit bottom, and it's different for everybody. Those empathetic words stick with me to this day. People of every race, religion, gender, sexual orientation, ideology, political leaning have shaped the person that I am. They showed me love, compassion, and empathy. They have been true friends and supported me as a minority business owner. Things that I want to do for the community and the private sector, specifically my love for coaching the youth, are being supported from people from both sides of the political aisle. I really don't care about red or blue politics, but it is not lost on me that everyone wants to help the city become a better place no matter their background. We just have to be willing to see that in each other. I will not apologize for the comments made and supported last week. Those words do not represent me as a single council person. I will, however, 
apologize on behalf of your government failing to make you feel heard. We all have to own that, and we will. It is never right for, the, for a person in this position to attack the constituent for the things they say. Compared to all of the colorful things that have been said to us in here, in public, on social media, we should be ashamed that those comments were the ones that were pounced on to attack. Citizens have the right to express their concerns, frustrations, and anger. They have the right to speak to their elected officials with the expectation that they will represent their voice. It's not an easy thing to do, but we didn't get elected to do an easy job. We signed up for this. We sit up here and listen to your words. Sometimes they are not delivered in a way that is constructed, but that is not up to us to tell people that we represent how to speak when they feel they are, we are failing them. That's why we're called leaders. We make dif difficult decisions, work to make our districts and our city as a collective a better place. And there's always something to work on, always something to make better, fix, change, and address. But again, that's the job, and we're supported by an amazing city staff that don't get enough credit for all the quiet behind-the-scenes work that they do. How we do that job is based on each individual council rep, their views, experience, and what they feel is best. I can't speak for everyone on the dais, but what I think is best is to stop weaponizing words, to stop painting each other in a category that justifies certain behaviors. We need to be better than that for the good of the people, even now as I speak these words, I know that there are people who would love to label me politically, ideologically, or in some other way for them not to like me. And that's fine, because I'm not here for that. As much as I would love to sit up here and continue to address the things that were said, I, I propose we use this as a moment of clarity to look at what we want for ourselves as a city, as a community, and as people. Vent your frustrations, express yourselves, but as emotions calm, let's make it a point to put aside the narratives that keep us from working together for the betterment of our city. Champaign is one of the greatest places that I've ever lived in because of the people in it. If this message doesn't resonate, if what I'm saying seems out of line, I'm happy to step down at the request of my constituency or be voted out next term. Thank you. Anyone else? Anyone over here? Anyone else? Councilmember McGladney. So I want to thank everyone for who's contacted us the last week, and for everyone who came out tonight. I want to thank the Moors for um, coming back and, and speaking. Um, I am sorry for what happened to you, uh, not just last week, but what happened to you at your home. Uh, I'm sorry to everyone in the city of Champaign. So many of us have been affected by this in one way or another, up to and including the loss of life, families who um, have been devastated and have lost sons and brothers and fathers and sisters, aunts, uncles, all of that, just friends and family members gone. Um, I don't care what part of the city they came from, or if they're black or brown or white or purple. Um, the city is hurting. Your council has been working to address that. Your city staff has been working to address that. Um, the blueprint we passed last week, I hope, will be effective on this. Uh, the lift program that um, our, our, our staff worked so hard on um, uh, that we were doing with Unit 4, which is trying to help 
K through 12 families that are in trouble and trying to kind of get this, uh, get this help to folks before, before things go bad completely in their lives. I hope that will help. You know, no one is born, I believe anyway, no one is born a bad person. No one is born in a gang. No one is um, born with a gun in their hand. Um, that comes from, to put it mildly, unfortunate life experiences. Um, so we are trying to tackle this from all angles, both reactive and proactive. Um, our, our police have been just exhausted from all of the work they're trying to do uh, to tackle this. Um, and I just want to be clear, as far as I'm concerned, you are, you are more than welcome to uh, come here and, and address us in person and be heard with respect and empathy, uh, whatever part of the city you come from. Uh, you're, more, you're more than welcome to contact us and reach out in other ways if you need to call us, email us, uh, what have you, you know, set up a meeting. Um, we are, in a way, you know, we are, we, the council should be, among many things, it should be a support group. We should be here to support our citizens. We should be here to listen, um, and we should be here to, to do what we can to help. Um, those are my comments. Thank you. Councilmember Pianfetti. Thank you, Your Honor. Um, I just wanted to take a moment. Uh, this has been a uh, week in which you are very reflective on um, the situation and things that have occurred. And I wanted to take a moment to um, publicly thank uh, you, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Moore, Albert and Claudia, for um, the conversation that I was able to have and um, you, um, Erica, uh, Ms. Perez, to be able to have a conversation where we can talk through some of the events that occurred and to have um, with grace and with understanding um, just to be able to share sort of what was going through my mind and what um, was going through your um, thought process as everything was transpiring, not just in the moment last Tuesday, but um, throughout just the events that were happening and just what is going on in the city. It was a good chance to kind of get in touch with individuals in different neighborhoods because for me sometimes it's hard to get a sense of um, what is going on in in the moment, right? And we talked a lot about that. And um, similar to what um, Council Member Iniguez was saying, what I wanted to do to, this evening was to apologize to you that this council failed last, last Tuesday to give you the respect that you deserved in coming and wanting a seat at the table. Because I was thinking about my father, who always said that sometimes the table's been set and maybe you didn't have a, a seat there, but it's up to you to figure out when it was your time to bring that chair. And if there wasn't a seat there, you bring your own chair. And I felt that that's what you were doing. And 
not opening the microphone to say you had every right to have a seat at the table was, was I'm accountable for that. And for that, I apologize not for comments that were made, but just for not recognizing that in enough time. But I do thank you for allowing me to have that conversation with you afterwards. Um, that being said, I am proud of what our city is doing in terms of um, our city blueprint and trying to curb the gun violence, um, but also in the fact that our city staff, our police, our other public servants, our neighborhood services, our public works department, um, city planners, they, they listen and they listen intently, no matter what your zip code is, no matter what neighborhood you live in, um, to the issues at hand. And they address um, the challenges that we are facing and they address them with the intensity no matter where you are coming from. And I think it's important for us to remember that. And I think it's important for us to recognize that um, this community that we live in has a very strong city staff. We are led by good leadership um, that reaches out and does not discriminate no matter where you live and what address you reside at, but they address it. And I know um, that we are constantly trying to make this the city where people want to continue to live for the 49th year, right? And, and, and that they want it to be a place that you don't just own a house, but you make it your home. And so um, I am saddened by what happened. I hope that um, your three children continue to play and grow and prosper and that um, they, they someday can come here because they are talking about something great someday and, and that maybe one of my kids are sitting up here at city council and listening to them or maybe it's the other way around and one of your kids are sitting up here and um, my, my, one of my kids are talking about something. But um, I hope that we use this as a learning lesson and that we are moving forward um, because we have done so much in, in an amount of time that time is very precious. And so we need to, um, you know, continue to think about where we want to go and look at the moments of what we want to define us. And you have, you have made this our call to action, along with we, can't, we cannot forget um, other families, other moms like Samantha Carter, who was coming in to show the bullets that hit through her house and in much the same empathy that we move forward remembering them just as much as we remember you. Thank you. Anyone else? Councilmember Kyle. You know, I, I had some uh, prepared comments and then I left my uh, cell phone at home and so perhaps that's an amazing thing because it allows um, the God in me to come out um, you know, the, the good book, and I know that a lot of times people don't like to talk about religion or faith, but because it's so paramount to me, sometimes it's the only way I get through in life. Um, talked about a, uh, a man named Jesus, um, that 
talked to a certain woman who was brought before an audience and uh, she was accused of some interesting things. And uh, what I found interesting in that story, um, to the shock of the audience, is that instead of talking about a lot of things that he could have talked about, Jesus takes an interesting dive and uh, he loved her. He loved him. And in my life, he's loved me, despite some terrible things that maybe seem innocent to most people, but to him as an abomination. So I'll take that choice tonight to love. We're big on that today in society and talking about forgiveness and all of that good stuff. And sometimes that's the the only thing because I don't want people to go out of this room on this side of the dais or that side of the dais to not feel the love. And maybe perhaps if there were any apologies that were given, I would apologize to the Moors for not showing the empathy because the first thing that I thought about when you told your story was my son and I when we were traveling down the um, in our we were traveling and um, right around about to turn into our block 10 feet away from us gunshots went off and um, it's interesting because there are a lot of things that go through your head as a council member, but when you're not when you're in the streets, you're a parent. And uh, I turned the block. My son he saw the gunfire, and I saw the gunfire. In fact, I was turning around to get away. Um, and he gets out the car, I get out the car, I look at him, he looks at me, and he says, Dad, another day in the hood, right? And as a father, we don't, you know, a council member is, is, as a father, it was probably one of the uh, toughest moments because you would have thought that we would have gotten out frantic. You would have thought that we would have gotten out. But in order to protect ourselves, to be able to go and go out into the community that we live in and that we love, our response, our natural response was to suppress it in order to move forward. And so when you talk about what drives you as a council, what makes you come every Tuesday night, um, how do you bounce back from things when you experience those traumatizing events? How do we bounce back as a community? As that's, that's what, I think that's what we're here. That's why. I, you're here is to figure out how we bounce back. And 
we're going to have to bounce back as a council. We're going to have to bounce back as a community. We're going to have to bounce back as a staff. We're going to have to bounce back together, not just for our personal survival, but the survival of our city, our community. It's critical. It's important. I think that sometimes it's, it, it is challenging if we're talking about empathy because in some points, it's like those indiv there are individuals that do terrible things, bad stuff. And in some points, the same individuals that have done some things that none of us would advise doing are the same people that we're trying to, to help and move forward and not repeat the cycle. Sometimes it is challenging as an African-American um, because you feel like everyone lumps you in that, in that, in that, that pool. And sometimes when you, even though you understand, like I have to always think outside of myself a lot of times, because when I hear like words like thug, sometimes it's like, what if I was just walking down the street with a jumpsuit on, middle-aged fan with the jumpsuit on, with a little bit of a gut, right? Would I be labeled a thug? And so there is some thought process, and I think on this council, and I believe in the community, that we have these conversations. It's important to have these conversations because if we don't, how do we move forward? I think that moving forward is sometimes, uh, it's a big word. A lot of times we like to say it. But moving forward is difficult. And it requires us to, to do things that it's gonna, that really, we gotta, I hate to say this because I'm sounding like an older person now, but we gotta, we, gotta, we gotta get back to loving each other. And we gotta love each other across communities. And we gotta love each other, whether it's the community coalition, whether it's the neighborhood um, um, meetings that they have virtually, whether it's, the barbecues at the at the, at the at the at the at the neighborhood block parties. I think if I were to say anything, that would be the most important that we got to figure that out. But to the response to what happened with those gunshots going through your window, I know that it is a traumatizing experience, and it's one of those things that is hard to sometimes. How do you bounce back? But since then, my son had, I have allowed my son to walk to and from school. I have allowed him to play basketball at Douglas, where he loves to play. I have allowed him to, my daughter, to ride her bike. Because if we allow that circumstance to dominate, then our neighborhoods will be permanently changed.
And that's not what we want. And so for that, at that, I know everybody's probably waiting to get home, but I wanted to say that I believe that the city is on the verge of bouncing back. And that's why we're here. That's why we're here together. And since you're here, I think that it's always awesome to have newfound, and some people I recognize, partners in being a part of the bounce back. So that would be my comments for the evening. I want to Council Member Bruno. I'll try to keep my remarks brief, but I would be, uh, I wouldn't be very proud of myself if I just sat here silently tonight. Uh, I was traveling a week ago. I wasn't at the meeting. I don't know how I would have reacted. I'd like to think I would have said something, but I don't, I don't know that for sure. It, um, but I want to say something tonight. I want to say I'm sorry, Claudia, Albert, I'm sorry for what happened to you. Uh, I'm sorry for, is it Erica? The, the, I'm sorry that you ha had this happen, this shooting event happen in your neighborhood. Uh, and I'm sorry, uh, particularly uh, on behalf of the city of Champaign, I'd like to apologize for how you were treated a week ago. I've uh, reflected a little bit in the last few minutes on just how privileged I've been. I, I think almost every night of my life, I've slept feeling secure in my home, safe and secure without worries about outdoor th outside threats impacting me in my home. For that, I am grateful. And I know not everybody lives a life like that. Um, I, th I think as we sit here tonight about the folks in Ukraine who have children, who have bombs exploding, and what abject terror those parents and grandparents must be in a, in a war zone. And for people in our community, it's reasonable to have that same sense of terror. And had my window had a bullet hole in it, it would have been, you know, I can't imagine how distressed I would have been and how it would have driven home to me um, vulnerability and uh, wanting to cry out for help from the community around me. So I appreciate how traumatic that would be. I know it would have been very traumatic for me, for my family, had it happened to us. And uh, really all I, all I want to say to you is um, thank you for coming tonight and please accept my apology for what has happened to you both in the shooting incident and in your attempt to present your concerns to the city council last week. Anyone else? So thank you to everyone who spoke and who contacted me and contacted council. Um, I too am sorry that I did not speak out at the meeting, but I am grateful that you stayed and talked with me after the meeting. 
Um, and even in the emotional wake of what occurred, you continued to be constructive. You were asking me about the blueprint, wanting to be engaged in making our community a better place. So thank you for that. And I too am sorry for, for how you were treated by, by council, um, particularly in that um, the silence of the rest of us made you feel as though we were a part of everything that occurred. Ms. Perez, um, thank you for emailing. Uh, you emailed immediately after the shooting um, and for letting us know your concerns. Um, and thank you then also for the conversation that we had this week. I appreciate it as well that um, you were willing to take the call and to constructively talk about um, your neighborhood. I appreciated that. Um, I do, um, I know for many of you, you have seen my statement, but I think it's important that it become part of the record. So I am going to read it. As mayor, I have worked very hard to create a space at our council meetings where community members feel safe in approaching council and speaking. I view the responsibility to listen to the public as one of our most important duties. And I take this responsibility very seriously. Last Tuesday, the, the Moors in the community were left with the impression that individuals petitioning their government were not welcome. I cannot let this impression stand. In our democracy, the First Amendment gives both the public and elected officials the right to speak at meetings. And it is important that each person be respected and given the opportunity to provide their perspective. Although I did speak with the Moors after the meeting, I wish I had had the presence of mind to speak from the dais, so it was clear that I did not agree that the Moors' comments were not welcomed. I should have publicly supported them and recognized the courage it took for them to come forward. I care deeply for all members of our community who are put in harm's way by senseless violence. The issues raised by the Moors regarding gun violence in our community are important and their perspectives should not be ignored. As one resident said to me, when we see problems through only our own lens, we will never solve them. Instead, we need to understand each other and work together for a better community. I welcome any person who is willing to use their voice at a city council meeting and be engaged in the real work going on to diminish community gun violence. Every neighborhood has the right to be safe, and every person has the right to be heard at council. So with that, city manager, do you have anything? I have nothing, Your Honor. Madam Mayor, I move we adjourn. Second. All those in favor signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed, same sign. Motion carries.